If uh, the, the aliens like manufactured you to be uh, a nah. mixed martial arts fighter, they're like, let's see if we can just turn. This I'm sure. Into I would, a bad it, I'm sure if it would have happened, I would have been much better than than, than this. Much know? better than this. You're the fucking champion. What are yeah, you talking but about? if I would be alien manufacturer, I would be a <laughs> Superman. You know. Gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast, I welcome you to episode 24 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. This week we got a special episode, it is International Fight Week, and with me I have from It's Not Cage Fighting, Carl, what's up my man? Hello there, thank you very much for having me all the way here from Northeast England. Yeah man, uh, and uh, tell us about your YouTube channel a little bit, it's called It's Not Cage Fighting. And you do all types of UFC breakdowns, right? Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, well, it was something I started around sort of January 2017. I'd obviously graduated from university. I was wanting to try and um, get a job within the industry. But uh, being up being up north in Durham, there's almost nothing here. We've got a couple of radio stations, and that's about it. So I thought to myself, I need to try and sort of flex these creative muscles uh, somewhat. And I've always been a fan of mixed martial arts. And so I thought there's some great MMA content out there on YouTube. I thought I'd give it a go myself. And the channel has just grown far more than I ever thought it would. We're up to about 7,800 subscribers. We do a couple of breakdowns. We've got our own preview shows, which we started doing over the last couple of months as well. Um, and we're always looking to try and get people to contribute and give their feedback. Yeah, and um, as I'm looking at the channel right now, uh, you know your breakdowns, your previews, you know some they uh, they vary. Some of them will get uh, you know a couple thousand views, but the, your most popular videos are the the compilations you do, like you know famous. I'm looking at famous short notice performances and worst UFC debuts. I find myself watching a lot of those videos uh, myself, and there's a lot of other guys making, you know, uh, best head movement in MMA or, you know, m most memorable uh, hometown moments in MMA, something like that. And those videos are really popular, and those are the ones that looks like they're drawing in, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of viewers on there. So, man, I had no idea about this channel. It's not, it's a, a privilege to to be speaking to you after uh, after I figured out about this. I, 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 so uh, yeah, happy to plug. It's not cage fighting. You guys uh, check check that shit out. They got some uh, you got some pretty nice uh, thumbnails going on, and uh, I can't wait to start watching the videos myself. But uh, thanks. I'll I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. The place is. Uh, I see the channel's looking good. So uh, let's uh, let's move on to talk about uh, some fights. Like I said, it is International Fight Week. We have the Professional Fighting League happening tonight, Thursday night. We have the Tough 27 finale going down tomorrow night, and we have UFC 226 on pay-per-view Saturday night. So we got a lot of fights to talk about. But uh, before we talk about the fights going down uh, this weekend, we're going to turn our clocks back a bit to talk about the UFC that went down in Singapore two weeks ago. Um, you know, it was a pretty good card for uh, being a fight pass card. I did not catch all the fights because it was, you know, at uh, around 5 in the morning. I watched a good amount of the uh, the exciting ones, though, and the finishes. 
Uh, I skipped a couple of the boring decisions like Yan Ziyang versus uh, Vivian Pereira. No, no disrespect, ladies. Um, but um, let's see. We'll talk about uh, the first. The first uh, fight of of notice was uh, Oka Sasaki choking out uh, Jen Janelle Lausa by uh, rear naked choke in the second round. Uh, Sasaki is you know pretty much a, a rear naked choke guy. He's gotten you know three of his last wins and also two of his last losses were by um, you know rear naked choke so uh, kind of a funny little fighter there Oka is not too high level but still really nice jujitsu in this uh, this finish he had a great back take and uh, was really nice finish did you uh, catch this one Carl um, this was one of the ones yeah I, saw, I caught uh, bits and pieces of this one and I would totally agree I think uh, Sasaki uh, very impressive when it comes to the ground game I felt that Loaza was maybe lacking in that regard, I felt he was more of a stand-up specialist, and I think that sort of showed in a way that Sasaki, once he got him on the ground, he just seemed to be in control. And it's quite unnerving, in my opinion, that we still have these sort of discrepancies between fighters that we still... It's amazing that we still have specialists, full out-and-out specialists in a sport which has been around for about 25 years. Yeah, I agree. It's it's incredible how many one round one trick ponies uh, you can call them uh, there are in the UFC. I want to say, uh, I don't. I wouldn't. I'm not gonna make a comparison on what percentage of are one trick ponies versus which are well rounded. But it's an embarrassing amount of fighters who are very very uh, one dimensional and one discipline. But um, you know, uh, whatever they that you know that that makes that makes matchups more interesting when you have a wrestler versus a striker or a grappler versus striker or something like that. But uh, you know, it's definitely uh, definitely a little bit of an issue. I think is the comp. I think the skill level in the UFC is is uh, not as up to par as it should be. But that's a problem. We I see. totally agree. Personally, I've always believed that when you have the grappler versus striker scenario more often than not you go for the grappler i think it's much easier to take a striker down than it is to keep a grappler up yep i, I agree i mean obviously there's been there's obviously been um discrepancies between that in the past but more often than not that's the way i feel it goes um, for sure. I mean, you know, take uh, wrestling is, they say, the hardest discipline to learn in MMA because you can go to a jiu-jitsu school and learn jiu-jitsu with, you know, dozens of other good training partners. Same thing with uh, striking, uh, Muay Thai, kickboxing, boxing. But if you don't start wrestling in high school or college, it's going to be extremely hard for you to get high-quality training in because there are not many wrestling clubs, you know, around. There's not schools to teach wrestling. You know, there might be a very select few, but, um, you know, like I said, that collegiate level, that if you, if you miss the boat there, it's going to be very, very difficult to catch up. So you see a lot of strikers uh, who are, you know, struggling to get their takedown defense up to par you know, and uh, we'll we'll talk about that uh, in uh, the main event of the tough finale because I think that that fight is just a clear, uh, you know, it's all about the takedown in that fight. So uh, we'll talk about that one a little later. Moving on to uh, Matt Schnell defeating Naoki Inoue by a split decision. This fight was pr pretty boring. I, I had a, a little wager on Matt Schnell uh, as an underdog. Uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, a lot of hype around Inoue, even though he trains at a pretty small gym in japan he's beaten you know so-so competition and he's not looked too dominant beating them so that was enough for me to bet, uh, make a bet on match now match now looked pretty good on the feet in this grant in this game, uh fight 
um, anyway was not able to get the uh, fight to the ground like he wanted and uh, ended up losing the split decision. Not too much to say about this fight other than, uh, you know, I, I want a little, a few dollars on it. I think the thing that really stood out for me when it came to the fight was the uh, leg kicks. I think more, I think what sort of swayed it in Chanel's favor was, I think he was much more active in terms of attacking them. And I think Inoue, is quite a quick fighter. I, well, to be honest, nearly all the flyweights are at that sort of pace. But once Inoue started taking a lot of those leg kicks, his movements suffered big time. And ultimately, I think that was what won the fight for Schnell. There wasn't enough there for me to make me think that Schnell can go any higher than this. So I think he's always going to be one of those sort of prelim fighters who's he'll put on a good show, but more often than not, you're going to get fights like this. Yeah, but... Uh... Very accurate statement. Hey, let's match him up with uh, Oka Sasaki. You know, there's like they're two similar, similar skilled guys. I think uh, Sasaki would win that one. Hypothetical though. Um, we'll uh, we'll skip the Zan uh, Zia Wang versus Pereira uh, unless you have anything to say about that one. But I did I did not watch that fight. Only the referee screwing up the um, decision raised the wrong fighter's hand. Oh yeah, I did see that. That that part was so funny. Uh, man, that's how the how the hell do you get them mixed up? One has a you know an Asian name and one looks Brazilian and uh, whatever. Um, that guy was just out of it. Uh, personally, I personally I I know you sort of glossed over that fight. I rate Yang quite highly, to be honest. I saw what she did against Kylan Curran back at the um, OSP um, OSP um, okay. uh, fight night card over back in October, I think it was. I thought she absolutely destroyed Curran there. Put in another good performance against Pereira, whose only loss was against Suarez. Um, personally, I think you could put her against someone like Moroz, and that would be a competitive fight. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that just basing what you said right there, it sounds like she would beat Marion Moroz because I don't think, uh, I don't think she's she's too very good. But yeah, Pereira is good. And I know that I sh I was kind of glancing over just because I didn't really watch it. But yeah, Pereira only had one loss before, like you said, uh, a really good person. So. Uh, obviously, uh, Zan is is uh, you know moving up the rankings at featherweight or uh, strawweight, excuse me. Um, next fight we had you know Jake Matthews. He was minus you know five hundred in this fight, just a gigantic, gigantic favorite, uh, and he smashed uh, Shinitsu Anzai with a you know rear naked choke. Uh, was just able to take him down and completely bully him on the ground. This Anzai looked hopeless. Um, and, uh, you know, good performance from Matthews. I wish they would have given him a little tougher competition. Like, he just beat uh, Lee Jingling in his last fight, who was not not ranked, but close to being ranked and had was on a, you know, a three- or four-fight win streak. And then they give him uh, Anzai, who's coming off of a huge layoff. and Or not that big of a layoff, but, you know, two fights in three years. Um, so kind of disappointing uh, matchmaking. But, yeah, Matthews ran through him pretty easily. And yet Lee was the one who ended up on the main card and Jake's in the prelims. Yeah, well, that they really they really screwed the pooch on that one. Uh, they're like, uh, uh, they didn't. The th honestly, I'm surprised Lee Jingling was in the U allowed back in the UFC after intentionally gouging Jake Matthews' eyes with his fingers in that fight. That was one That's of the disgusting. one of the most despicable things I've ever seen. Um, but uh, move along to uh, uh, Keenan Song uh, defeating Hector Aldana. Uh, I think this there was two close fights. Uh, I believe Yadong and Arantis was close too. Uh, but um, I don't I don't remember the finish with uh, Keenan Song particular uh, particularly. Uh, 
you know, I remember the two elbow ones and the Peter Yan finish, but uh, do you remember this finish particularly? Great finish. Great finish from Song. I um, fought quite a competitive fight for most of it and then just caught him with that uh, big right hand and managed to get the job done. Yeah, like I said, uh, it's not ringing a bell on, on uh, which uh, what, what fight it was, but um, uh, so I'll just move on to a fight. I do remember uh, Shane Young defeating uh, uh, Ronaldo Dai uh, by uh, TKO by elbows and punches. There were two standing elbow knockouts back to back in this fight in this card. You know, one of the one of the best. Uh, strikes in MMA in my opinion I don't remember if it was this one or the next one which uh, Dan Hardy said that is one of the best breakaway elbows I've ever seen in MMA like he just timed it perfectly where he was clinching against the fence clinching clinching and then right when he separated he landed a nasty slicing elbow and I'm pretty sure both of the finishes were very similar to that they were clinching against the fence and then separated with a, a massive elbow and so uh you know b great finishes by uh Shane Young and Song Yudong there I always love seeing a good elbow finish, to be honest. I always think about what uh, Matt Brown did in his uh, most recent fight, which was, well, if we actually saw it, because I think they could have waited to a re uh, could have to an advert break, so most of us missed it. Um, but no, a standing elbow punch is so brutal to watch. I mean, I know you expect to see a lot of brutality in a sport like this, but you see stuff like that, you do grimace a lot. Yeah, elbows are, elbows are the best strikes in MMA by far. You know, uh, when... Uh, That's why John Jones has done so well. He knows how to use the elbows to yeah, perfection. They're underutilized extremely, you know. Uh, we saw Brian Ortega beautifully land, land one in the Frankie Edgar fight, uh, which really rocked at Edgar, um, you know. So it shows you how hard of a punch it is here, uh, or a strike it is, excuse me, uh, if a person with an iron chin like Ortega, or like Edgar, excuse me, and then someone with, you know... Uh, known as rudimentary striking skills, you know, everyone uh, thought Ortega was just kind of a, a grappler, but he showed in that fight that his, he has real good striking accuracy, adaptation, and power because he uh, timed that counter with the elbow and really rocked Frank Yeager. So, like you said, those elbow strikes are absolutely, uh, absolutely devastating. The just, just uh, a note about the fight though. Uh, Ronaldo Dai looked pretty bad. Was on his back foot the entire fight. Was just getting uh, punished by Shane Young. And then uh, the Song Yudong uh, Orantes fight though was uh, a bit competitive, and uh, you know it seemed like Yadong was in control, but uh, he definitely pulled the finish. The finish was at the the last second of the second round. So uh, I remember the the fight was you know it was it seemed like the round was just gonna expire with them holding one another on the cage, and then he decided to explode out and land that elbow, and it uh, went in for the finish. So like I said, two beautiful finishes. Um, we'll move on to the next fight. We had uh, Peter Yan making his UFC debut, uh, taking on Terutu Ishihara. Peter Yan uh, rocked him with some punches in the first round and uh, got the finish. Uh, four TKOs in a row to finish these prelims. Five finishes. So, uh, you know, re re these prelims delivered big time. Peter Yan, this was a huge mismatch. You know, this guy was... Uh, uh, 11 and 1 I believe uh no 8 and 1 excuse me in in Russia just beating the best of the best Russian flyweights and then he comes in and you know gets Taruto Ishihara 
um, uh, bantamweights, excuse me. But, uh, yeah, so this was kind of a squash match, but I think Peter Yan could be a, t a ranked bantamweight fighter with one or two more wins. Well, I certainly hope so. I was really impressed with the way Yan performed. You always get a little bit worried when you see these highly rated prospects making their USC debuts. I always remember what happened to Ankalaev against Paul Craig. Um, but Yan looked so impressive. And yes, you could say Ishihara maybe wasn't the highest level of competition, but you need to do it on the highest stage. And he's done it at the highest stage. Maybe it's too early for him to try and take on a seeded opponent. I would maybe give him two or three more in sort of like the prelims, try and make it, but at least give the impression that the guy is someone to look look out for because he is. Um, you look at his record, nine wins, one loss. He's got a lot of potential ahead of him. I would like to see him, a lot more of him come the future. Yep, uh, I agree. I'm excited. You know, these, these uh, Russian guys uh, have a lot of talent to offer and... Um, you know, I feel like the, you know, it's a shame that there's, there's probably, uh, fighters out there in KSW in Poland and ACB in Russia. And these guys are probably, you know, a lot, uh, same skill or even better skilled than some of the people getting their UFC debuts. So uh, I would like to see the UFC start, uh, you know, poaching a little more talent from those, uh, talented, uh, organizations over there. Yeah. You find the same thing at one championship. I mean, you can look at people like, say, Angela Lee, who I think would be a great addition to the strawweight division, Martin Nguyen, what he could do with featherweight. Put those sort of people in the UFC, I think they would thrive. But, of course, they're getting paid a lot of money in one championship, so we'll never see that talent which is there over in, like, Singapore or China or Asia, etc. Yeah, I, the thing with one FC is, though, I think... I feel like all the fighters there are so so happy. I mean, they're getting they're getting paid well. They're getting sponsorships. You know, they're living. A lot of them moved to Singapore or South Asia or somewhere like that. And you know, like you said, Angela Lee. Uh, I think I don't know. Is she is she American? Um, I know. I, I think she's she half Canadian, half Singapore. I think. Okay. Uh yeah, oh, Dan, dude, twenty one years old. That's insane. Um. She, yeah, she's got, uh, I believe she's got an, an American uh, husband, if I'm correct. But, you know, it's, it's it just it goes to show that uh, people, uh, yeah, she, she lived in Hawaii for a lot of her life. But, you know, now she's just li uh, soaking it up over in uh, Singapore because it's just an amazing place to fight. Uh, I think, I don't know if 1FC won promotion of the year last uh, at the MMA Awards uh, most recently, but, you know, that was my vote for promotion of the year. They're doing so many incredible things at 1FC. I I, it's, it would be hard to, you know, steal some of their talent. So uh, we'll move along to the uh, the main card. Uh, we had Lee Jingling defeat Daichi Abe. Just, uh, you know, pretty, uh, pretty... Not, not much to say about this. Li Jingling looked pretty good on the feet. Uh, quick, powerful. Had some good uh, good gas. Um, didn't really uh, chase the finish too too hard in my mind. Daichi Abe's chin held up pretty well. But, uh, you know, it's actually kind of good to see that uh, Jingling went to a decision because he was kind of chasing the knockout a lot in his recent fights. He did get the knockout in some of them, you know. But uh, his last fight, it really cost him uh, the loss because he was just headhunting the entire time. So... Uh, much more calculated approach and a pretty solid kickboxing performance from him. A lot more composed. I think you said it perfectly. I felt we saw that with the Matthews fight at 221. I felt Jingling was trying to chase the uh, sort of that big power punch and 
ultimately it cost him the fight and lost cost him a lot of credibility as well. I think that what happened with the iPorks really tarnished a lot of people's attitudes to G Ling. I think he's he's a he's a competent fighter. Maybe won't be sort of like top fifteen or anything like that, but you can always get a good show out of him. He showed that with Matthews fight, he showed that with against Arbe, a decent level performance. Yeah, I think he's uh, I think he's a great great fighter. You know, uh, he just needs to learn how to use, utilize his skills a lot more. So I think that he definitely showed this in this fight, and he was throwing heavy leg kicks. You know, heavy punches. Look, uh, like you said, much more composed. So good performance from him. And the next fight we had a bit of a, a bit of a shocker. We had Jessica I uh, be defeating Jessica Rose Clark. Jessica I was an underdog in this fight, not not by much, but. Uh, it seemed like a lot of people, uh, most people were confident in uh, Jessica Rose Clark. Rose Clark had, you know, won, uh, I believe, th uh, three in a row before this. It was 2-0 and in the UFC. And uh, Jessica I was struggling big time. I think she was 1-5 and in her last six fights or something like that. 2-6 two and two and six or uh, in her last eight. And, uh, you know, she came out and uh, won this fight. It looked really good. Um, I don't, I don't, I mean... I definitely watched the fight, but I don't remember if she. Re I think it was a kickboxing. Like she didn't. She she just looked really good on the feet, right? She, it wasn't a, a wrestling match. It was a kickboxing match. I mean, a, an okay kickboxing match. I've seen far better before. But I tell you what, as somebody who has defended Jessica Rice since she's been in the UFC and had that awful run of bantamweight, I am so happy to see her finally getting in the win column because. This girl was absolutely dominant when she was in Bellator and she was fighting a flyweight. I think it was something like 11 wins, one loss. Came to the UFC. Obviously, they didn't have the flyweight division then. Had to fight a 135 and went through this real sort of murderous row of like Misha Tate, Juliana Pena, Sarah McMahon. Finally, she's in the division which she should have been in in the first place. And she's got two wins in a row. She's got a lot of confidence behind her. And she's taken out... Uh, quite a highly rated prospect in Clark. Yeah, I think that uh, she might have... Let, let me uh, check the rankings. She definitely earned herself uh, a ranking after this one. Uh, I doubt she was ranked before. Oh, no, she was. She was uh, She was ranked 10th before, and now she's 9th. That, that seems a little, little uh, you know, off, but we'll, we'll uh, discuss it later. Um, I find the flyweight rankings to be so contrived at the moment they make it's, no sense yeah because obviously you've got a lot of you've got a lot of people moving down from bantamweight a lot of people moving up from strawweight you've got all the uh tough 26 girls in there as well and i don't feel that division has really sorted itself out obviously we're still waiting for nico to defend against valentina as well so we're gonna have to give that one a good few years before we can actually see who is the elite fighters in that division in my opinion right now i would say jessica Rye is definitely a top 10 fighter around seven for me yeah i agree that a good point in what you said about it, giving it a while to have it sort of figured out because i mean i see jillian robertson right now who's probably got the one of the, some of the best jujitsu in the division and she's 15th and uh page man's ants ranked you know um home what's homegirl uh the fake mackenzie dern's not ranked so yeah there's a lot of a lot of moving pieces but dern well, should be in flyweight but she's fine the straw weight for some reason because oh, she cannot right. make that weight. That's right. I didn't even. I didn't, yeah, that's funny. I kind of just uh, assumed she was a flyweight, but I was wrong. 
Um, so, uh, co-main event and the Singapore car, we had a crazy, crazy fight. Ovin St. Peru defeating Tyson Pedro, straight arm bar, 2 minutes and 54 seconds in the first round. Uh, I had a, a good-sized bet on Ovin St. Peru, was pretty confident in the in the guy. Uh, I don't know how he was an underdog. You know, Pedro, a lot of the guys that Pedro has beat were, um, kind of lower-level guys, you know, uh, Paul Craig and, uh... Khalil Roundtree, Saperbeck Safarov. Uh, so I, I kind of knew that his his wins weren't as legit, his one loss coming to Ir Latifi. So I thought that Ovin St. Prue would try to replicate the same stuff that uh, OSP, or Latifi did. Excuse me. This fight starts off with uh, Tyson Pedro landing a monstrous question mark kick on Ovin St. Prue. Uh, looked like it stunned him pretty bad. Peso, Pedro followed up with another head kick. Rocked them even harder than the next one, and at this point, I I, th I, I thought my bet was lost. I mean, uh, Ovin so, uh, looked hopeless. I thought he was going to get starched like he did against Latifi, like he did against uh, Ozdemir. Uh, no, 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 not uh, I mean uh, Manoa, excuse me. So, uh, but then somehow, you know, uh, Pedro had decided to go for a takedown somehow. Really bad move by him. And then uh, Ovens was able to lock up a submission, a straight armbar, and turn the fight around uh, really quickly. So, insane fight. Uh, was happy I won, but I felt like I got a little lucky. The fight for me encapsulates sort of like everything that there is about Ovens Sepru, in my opinion. Because, yes, he can get these big dramatic wins. Yes, he's got this amazing submission game. But you get frustrated that he just can't do it on a consistent basis. This guy... What he essentially is, he's the light heavyweight Michael Bisping. He'll always beat the lower-ranked fighters, build up a little bit of a streak. But once it comes to the big, important fights when he should be breaking through, he doesn't do it. Because he wasn't he on like three or four fights in a row and then lost to Latifi. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't even know if he racked up that many wins. Uh, oh yeah, three, three. That's pretty good. Um, and in light heavyweight division, that's enough to earn you a title shot because that's so threadbare right now. Yeah, uh, but he did have three three losses before that. So yeah, you're right. He he does struggle with consistency, and I feel I don't know his his wins are like he usually he usually starts off losing first of all, and then ends up coming back somehow. Um, you know, so, a couple uh, opponents he had he just ran through them like uh, Marcos Rodrigo de Lima and Yushin Okami, but um, uh, pretty. But he was losing the Kobe Anderson fight. Yeah, he was losing that big time, both rounds, and he pulled that head kick out of his ass. So the guy's, the guy's got some good comeback abilities, but you know maybe he should, uh, I don't know, maybe adapt his game plan so he doesn't have to come back. But um, moving on to the main event of this uh, card, we had Leon Edwards defeat Donald Cowboy Cerrone by decision, three rounds to two for Edwards. Uh, people had uh, Edwards winning the first three and Cerrone winning the last two. Pretty competitive fight, you know. Uh, Edwards was in control the entire time. Cerrone looked like a step behind the entire time. We thought that a lot of people thought Edwards was going to show his uh, his wrestling like he's been doing in his uh, previous fights and, you know, try to take Cerrone down. But uh, not really much wrestling going on in this fight. Uh, Edwards was just kind of content to stand and uh, kickbox with Cerrone, which a lot of, of us thought that uh, was going to create problems for Edwards, but Edwards, you know, was a former kickboxer himself, uh, looked pretty comfortable in there, and was able to, uh, you know, beat uh, Cerrone on the feet. 
not 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 too uh, you know emphatic of a performance. Nothing that's gonna uh, jump him up the rankings any quicker. Uh, I don't I don't even know uh, who to match him up with next. Let me uh, peek over at the rankings. He's now ranked 11th. I mean. We can. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of guys who are ranked around there who we could see him match up against with next Pontinibio, Malzival, Magni. Um, so he's got options. Um, but I'd like to see Magni. I, I think the Edwards versus Magni would be a good call. I agree. Yeah. Well, what do you think of the fight? It reminded me a lot of the Darren Till Wonderboy fight, primarily striking based. You got the young English prospect going up against the seasoned veteran. Yeah, it wasn't the most dramatic of fights, but you made a good point there in terms of Edwards not using his wrestling. And I think a big part of that is, people forget Cerrone is a fantastic guard fighter. I mean, the way he can pull submissions and transitions from harm bars to triangles, and I think that was what uh, Edwards was sort of a bit scared of. Sort of like, picked his poison, tried to go into a stand-up fight, and ultimately came out on top. Yes, maybe not the most impressive performance, but six wins in a row, which is one of the highest going in uh, welterweight by now, you can't ignore that. Yeah, I mean, the dude is, he's got some skills, like I said, because he's, you know, he's got pretty good uh, IQ, you know, saying that, every, like I said, we all thought he was going to take Cerrone down, ends up switching it up and, you know, staying on the feet and uh, winning the fight that way, so... Uh, he's, you know, he's got potential, uh, but I mean, welterweight is just such a fucking... Killer, amazing. yeah, absolutely amazing. Like a shark pool right now, so uh, it's just gonna be uh, you know, it's it, he's got a you know solid two or three more wins before he gets his way up to a title shot. And uh, so that that's enough for this uh, Singapore card. Uh, it went down uh, you know two weeks ago. I haven't had an episode since then to refresh on it, but uh, it was a surprisingly good card. We had a lot of a lot of nice finishes, you know, especially with the elbow knockouts, uh, a couple sweet submissions too. So. Um, you know, uh, pretty good card, but uh, we won't we won't dwell on it m- uh, much longer. You know, we have the tough twenty seven finale going down tomorrow night, July sixth in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, did not uh, me and Carl did not watch uh, much tough this season. You know, the Ultimate Fighter is a pretty bad idea at this point. They've been doing it for fifteen years or something something insane like it's it, it's a it's a stale idea and um you know it's not really good tv so unfortunately we we uh aren't too aren't too up to date with about four or five fights on this card but we'll do our best to you know like bite around those you know little uh, bad spots in the story i've heard is that this uh i think this is the penultimate to ultimate fighter season they're going to do tough 28 which is going to be reportedly going to be women's featherweights with Cyborg's one of the coaches, and then that's it. It's going to be over. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, I'm with the yeah, e- I'm ESPN deal. I've I've heard that they're not going to bring it back, which is, which is hallelujah. Because uh, man, I don't know. It's like I said, it's just a stale idea. Um, even these cards, these cards are just you know, uh, kind of silly. Um, and I think now as well, we've got uh, Tuesday Night Contender, which is sort of taken over that sort of bring through the prospects format for the UFC. Yep, great. And the Dana White's looking for a fight. Yeah, they definitely have adapted their their uh, you know talent scouting, but um you know just he, th- we're talking about uh, having lower level competition in the UFC than it, than 
what the UFC deserves. It's the premier MMA organization in the world. You don't have bad players in the MLB or the NBA. You know, you might think they stink, but they're obviously still pretty high level. I'm talking about uh, uh, so there's some people in the UFC who have absolutely no business being there, and the reason why is uh, the Ultimate Fighter. They ha- they need 16 people to fill these spots. They pick you know 16 semi qualified people. And then when they have these ultimate fighter finales, they have, you know, they have uh, two fights that can that determine the ultimate fighter, which are two, uh, which would be four fighters that haven't lost all season. But they also include uh, six fighters who have lost in the season. So they already picked out some opponents for them, lower level opponents, and they've already lost. But for some reason, they're still getting a chance in the UFC. You know, not all of them are guaranteed signed, but like I said, we have six fighters on this card who, or five, excuse me, who lost their ultimate fighter fight. So it seems kind of silly to have them be in the UFC after this. But, uh, you know, that that's just my opinion. Um, might be a little, little out in left field, but oh well. Um, so the first fight we have is Tyler Diamond versus Bryce Mitchell. This is a fight, like I said, this is one of the, the gentlemen... Both of these guys lost by uh, finish in their last fight, so uh, I don't really know anything about them, and I won't comment on anything. Uh, I think the same goes for you, Carl. So we'll just move on to uh, the uh, first UFC-level fight on this card. is Gerald Michart taking on Oscar Pachota. Uh, Oscar Pachota is, I believe, 2-0 in the UFC. Let me, let me double-check this gentleman. Um Gerald Mitrod has a lot more experience. Oscar Pachota is, yes, 2-0, defeating Jonathan Wilson and Tim Williams in his last fight. Um, and Gerald Mitrod coming off of a sweet body kick knockout over Eric Spicely. Just like one of the loudest body shots I've ever, ever heard. He's 3-1 and one in the UFC. So um, we had uh, interesting line movement with this one because I believe uh, Gerald Mitrod opened up as the favorite. And it then the money then switched uh, to Oscar Pachota becoming the favorite. Um, no, never mind. I'm I'm totally mistaken. Uh, Oscar Pachota opened up as a favorite and uh, sunk to a bigger favorite. So it seems like everyone is pretty confident in Pachota in this one. Uh, I think uh, I'm pretty confident in him as well. Uh, what do you think about this one? I would. I think the bookmakers have got it right. I think that Mishart, yeah, he's he's a tricky vet. Fantastic on the ground. Obviously, he's got 19 submission wins over the course of his career. But I think Petroka has, if that's how we pronounce his name, it's the dodginess of my accent, I'm afraid to say. I think his takedown defense is quite good. I think he's a far better striker than Mishart is. To be honest, Mishart doesn't... I think he's a below-average athlete by the standards of the UFC. And I think that's going to show through. I've got... I think there's going to be a couple of takedown defenses there. Uh, but I think Picoca is going to try and keep it on his feet and ultimately get the win quite comfortably, in my opinion. Yeah, well, uh, the the uh, his last fight, uh, Pachota's fight against Tim Williams, um, a lot of people say that Tim Williams was winning the fight up until... I mean, the fight lasted two minutes, so it's not like you can say he was winning the fight before he got knocked out in two minutes. But uh, it did seem like he uh, Williams was able to land a few shots, but I mean... What does that matter when he's just corking up that, uh, you know, piston of a right hand to just unload at any time? Uh, Pachuda's got some nasty power. Um, so, yeah, like I said, well, uh, I think he'll be able to get this one done. 
Um, actually, pretty pretty comfortable at uh, minus two hundred. I think he's a good uh, a good pick for a parlay in this one. But uh, we'll move on. We have uh, Matt Bassette taking on Steven Peterson. Um, on, again, on the topic of l- low level UFC uh, talent, these both of these guys are are, are the epitome of that. Um, uh, let's see. We had Matt Bassette lose his last fight to Enrique Barzola. Um, you know, Barzola is a very good uh, wrestler, grappler, but he basically just got wrestle fucked in that fight, like he did in all of his fights, uh, like Barzola does in all of his fights. And Steven Peterson lost his last fight to Brandon Davis, which he got just outstruck hopelessly. He looked, he looked completely helpless on the feet. Uh, no adjustments whatsoever, and, and Brandon Davis just lit him up uh, for the whole fifteen minutes. So, uh, you know, not mu- I don't have much of an opinion on, you know, who's going to win this fight because uh, Matt Pacette, uh he opened up at minus 180, and he is currently minus 155. So seems like uh, a little bit of money is coming on Peterson. Uh, you know, he opened up at minus plus 140, now plus 135. So very, very minimal amount of money coming in on this fight. Uh, not much line change at all. Uh, what do you have to say about this one, Carl? I think it's going to be a good swing hard or go home fight. Um, I think Bassetti relies heavily on finding the finish, which can be a bit of a deterrent for him. Peterson, meanwhile, I think is so tough. I wouldn't go as far to say he's got an iron chin, but he's definitely one of the hardest dudes to put away. Um, I would probably lean towards Peterson to find favor with the judges. I think a lot of that might be because he's one of the regional vets, or that might play into the judges' minds a little bit, but I'd probably go for Peterson, but I think Bissett has his best chance to get in the win column for a long time. Um, yeah, I you know agree with the odds makers on this one having him as the favorite. You know he did you know Brandon Davis not doesn't have too crazy power, but I mean his chin did stand tall. Uh, stand tall in that fight. Excuse me. Um, we're gonna move on to the prelims uh, again. Two more fights where. Um, the gentleman, uh, John Gunther and Alan Zuniga, uh, lost both of their uh, most recent fights in the in the semifinals of the tough. So, what the UFC does is they match up the losers of the semifinals and match them up on the tough finale to like you know I guess it's like a losers bracket. Um, so nothing to say about the Gunther and uh, Zuniga fight, but the Luis Pena versus Richie Smullen. Luis Pena actually won his tough fight. But uh, broke his foot uh, and was a- unable to uh, continue in the show. So they gave him another chance uh, on the finale against uh, Richie Smolin. Luis Pena is a uh, massive favorite, something like minus 300. Um, so the he opened at minus 290 and sunk to minus 380. So people seem pretty pretty confident in this guy. Uh, he's only 4-0, so I mean, for him to be almost minus 400 at... Four no must uh, goes to show a lot. Uh, do you know anything about the any of these guys I mentioned? Uh, Luis Pena, who who might know better as Violent Bob Ross, uh, uses his lanky frame very well, I think, because he is one of the few regional fighters who competed in the series, which I did actually know a little bit about. He's got a big lanky frame and he knows how to use it very well. Jabs and front kicks, not a lot of power, but he piles on the damage. And often wears them down. Very gagey esque. Maybe doesn't stand in the pockets as much as what gagey does. But it's it's more volume rather than sheer power with him. Yeah, I have never watched him fight, so I don't know much about him. But um, you know, 
Yes, like I said, uh, that the uh, odds uh, would indicate that he is a little bit of maybe got a little bit of a hype train going behind him. But uh, in the next fight, boy, am I, I've never been excited, more excited for a, a women's fight than this. Montana De La Rosa taking on Rachel. It's, she spells Rachel weird. Uh, Rachel Ostovich. Okay, I'm, I'm going to say those names again. Montana Montana De La Rosa versus Rachel Ostovich. Google them. This is the pound-for-pound pound hottest matchup in UFC history. Um that being said, I don't know anything about how either of them can fight. Uh, I think, <laughs> I think, I think they're both good like jujitsu uh, people, if I'm correct. Both of them won their last fight by submission, so uh, both of them were tough twenty six uh, competitors, and they're again fighting on this tough finale. So, uh, uh, do you know anything about the the skill level of these women? It's low. It's low. I'm afraid to say, but I think there can still be a lot of intrigue about it. Primarily grappling based, I think that uh, Montana in the most recent fight against Christina Marks was so determined to get in that armbar, and that was what ultimately won her the fight. Osovic has been quite weak through most of her fights, but she does look a lot more composed than what she was. Obviously, competed in tough 26, I think went out in, I believe, the second round, but I might be wrong. It's going to be a ground fight, it's going to be a clinch fight. I think it's going to be. It's a pick'em. It's a pick'em fight. I would probably lean towards Ostovich if I had to choose, but it's very even. Um, yeah, well, that's what a lot of people have been saying, and uh, Ostovich is uh, plus 155, so I've seen a lot of people on Sherdog saying that they're going to be betting uh, uh, Ostovich on this one, and it might even be worth a little bit uh, watching a little bit of tape on them because... Um, you know, if it's a if it's a low level women's MMA matchup, then uh, I don't see why the odds should have one person as you know a um, let me see what what favorite it is. you know as a sixty four percent favorite. So uh, it might be uh, Rachel Ostovich might be worth a bet on that one. But um, moving along to the main card, we have uh, Alessio DiCircio, uh taking on Julian Marquez. Um, uh, Alessio DiCurcio is, let's see, 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Uh, his most recent run is coming off of Alue Bambose. Um, Julian um, Marquez, I believe, is 2 and He's a Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series guy. I know that. Uh, I'm, I'm positive he's 1-0 in the UFC. He might have even had two Dana White Contender Series fights. Let me pull up his record. Uh, no, he had he beat Darren Stewart by uh, guillotine, and he beat Phil Hawes by head kick. So, both of his finishes coming in the second round. He had both two crazy, like you know, slugfest fights uh, in UFC. So, you know, I would expect a, a pretty exciting uh, matchup in this one. We had. Uh, I, I think so. Yeah. You can uh, real quick about that. Marquez opened at minus two ten and has sunk. To minus one, or has gone up to uh, plus one, or excuse me, he opened up at minus two ten and is now minus one sixty. So uh, it seems like you know, the odds makers might have over evaluated him a little bit. A little bit of money coming in on uh, DiCurcio. You know, Marquez, he's been hit before. He's got you know uh, been a little been a little chinny. Uh, got tagged in uh, both of his fights, but um. Uh, one thing to also note about this fight is Julian Marquez missed weight by uh, four pounds. So, and he did not look good at all during the weigh-ins. 
Interesting. So, uh, I don't know if this is his first fight at 185. Is that it? Or, like, what it, did he drop? Uh, I, I, I don't know what's going on with him, but uh, it's uh, interesting, to, interesting to say the least. Um, you know, we saw, you know, who the fuck knows what to think about missing weight? You know, the, the records do indicate that people who miss weight do better, but... Uh, you know, it's it's never a good thing when you show up to the scales looking weak like that. I mean, the only person who's been able to put off, pull off a good performance after that is Joel Romero a few weeks ago. But, you know, I don't think that Julian Marquez has the same Cuban genes as Joel Romero. So I think he might be might be uh, might be in a little bit of trouble in this one. Uh, you know, the the bout might even be in jeopardy if you said he looked that bad. So hopefully it still uh, happens. But uh, no bet on this fight. I just make a little bit of a controversial sort of uh, I, suggestion. I, here. I love it. I'm, start, I'm starting to think that there's a lot of fighters out there that have intentionally missing weight because they think the benefits of getting that win and jumping up the Vikings to the bigger fights outweighs the disadvantage of actually trying to make the weight. I think, for example, someone like, say, Mackenzie Dern against Amanda Cooper didn't put any effort into trying to cut the weight carried that extra eight pounds into the fight, ultimately got herself the win, and now people have glossed over it. And I argue the same thing happened with Darren Till against Wonderboy. He's moved up from number eight to number two, even though he was four pounds overweight. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's... They are technically moving up, as you see, but there are, I think there are still a lot of, you know, uh, repercussions that come with it. I think that any time you mention... Uh, me, uh, um, Mackenzie Duren, you're gonna be calling her, you know, cupcake, uh, you know, banana bread, whatever you want to call her, because Big Mac's the one I've heard a lot. Big Mac, yeah, that's a that's a great one. Um, yeah, I mean, Joey Diaz was like, you know, I could I could do two things. I could show up to the weigh-ins with his ass looking flat, or I could show up with the the smacker. Uh, and she chose to show up with the smacker. So, I mean, obviously, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty uh, derogatory way of uh, phrasing it, but still, yeah, she she didn't put any effort into the into her weight cut. You know, Darren Till, on the other hand, seemed like he did a lot, and you know, uh, just uh, he just didn't get those last few pounds. But uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of uh, you know, like I said, extra weight that comes along with uh, with uh, missing weight. Like like you know, Darren Till might be ranked number two right now, but is he is he second in line for a title shot? And definitely not because. You know he 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 has to win another fight. Well, I mean, it's tough to say who's second in line because Colby is clearly the the number one contender, and then it, you know we have to have Darren Till versus you know Kamar Usman to figure out who's the number uh, two in my mind. Um, I'll keep him away from Usman. I think the UFC are quite high on Till at the moment, and you don't want to give him any sort of fight, which is going to put that in jeopardy. My fear is if they do Usman versus Till. Usman will just absolutely dominate that. If I can get the words out, Usman will dominate that fight on the ground, and I don't think Till will have any answer. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think Kamara Usman is really, really overrated. I think, like, I mean, we saw with his, but the thing is, like, we saw with his striking against uh, Maya is it's nothing special. So if he stays on the feet at all, it's gonna be big, big trouble for him. So I don't know. I think that's the matter because uh, look, you have. Uh, seven is Maya. He's out of the question. Lawler, he just lost. Um, did 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 he? Let me think. Lawler lost yeah, to RDA some, yep. at um, 
I think it was the last Fox card December. of 2017. Right, yep. Right, uh, yeah. Th- Thompson just technically lost. RDA lost. So it's got to be Till versus Usman. Uh, I'm, I think that's... I think even though I said Usman's a little overrated, I think he should be ranked fourth right now, or maybe even third, honestly. I think having guys three, four, five who are all coming off of losses doesn't make any fucking sense. But um, that's beside the point. Um, let's see. Uh, let's, let's, let's move on uh, the rest of this card. Uh, Roxanne Matafari taking on Bob Barbahanchuk. Just... Uh, no, no comment on this fight. Both of these, both of these women are, uh, you know, they they're experienced, experienced fighters. They have twenty some fights, something like that, and they both are still just so low skill level. It's it's incredible to me. Um, you know, I might be, I might be, re- you know, reducing them a little bit. Yeah, not much money coming in on this fight. Barb Honchuk opening minus one seventy, now minus one eighty five. So a little bit of money coming in on her, but uh. Any opinion on this one? Well, I would probably... As much as I love Roxy, I've always been a big fan of her. I follow her on social media. But I think Honchak is a far better striker than what she is. And I think Roxy's going to struggle to try and take this fight to the ground. And we saw against the Montagnol fight, it was a very sloppy fight. Roxy came very close to getting that submission in the fifth round. And it would have been surreal to see Roxy crowned flyweight champion and potentially fight Valentina for the title which I think would have been an absolute bloodbath. But I think if you are a fan of sort of like the pioneers of women's MMA, love the early Invicta cards, this is one for you. But for anybody who wants a quality product, I would look elsewhere, I'm afraid. Yeah, this is a, this is like a, a grab a yeah, snack a grab during this fight. Um, Only reason I might be worth tuning in for is I've got the feeling this might be Barb's last fight, regardless of the result. Yeah, um... um that would be a real loss to the MMA community, so I hope she doesn't. Um, so next fight we have uh, Alex Caceres taking on uh, Martin Bravo. Alex Caceres just got his fight canceled against uh, Artem Lobov back in. Um, Travesty. Yeah, uh, there's actually a Wikipedia page for the Team McGregor bus melee. That's pretty funny. Um, so um, uh, Martin Bravo just uh, I just I believe he just won tough if I'm correct, he beat uh, Claudio Puelas. Uh, I, I think I'm pretty sure that was to win the uh, Ultimate Fighter. Um, yeah, tough Ultimate Fighter three finale. So uh, you know he uh, beat some pretty stiff competition on there and was able to beat Claudio Puelas. He knocked out Claudio Puelas really easily, and we saw that even Felipe Silvia wasn't uh, wasn't able to do that. Ended up coming back and losing that fight. So, um, Bravo also had a pretty flash knockout by Humberto Badende by that uh, pretty weird kick knee knockout uh, in about thirty seconds. So, interesting, interesting to say. You know, we saw, we thought that he was gonna be might be uh, you know uh, a pretty uh, high level prospect. He just ran through everybody on tough fairly easily, but then he got starched in his fight after that. So, um, and then Alex Caceres has, you know, been in the UFC for a long time, but really, really struggles with, uh, activity, uh, not uh, activity, excuse me, consistency. Uh, he joined the UFC at five and two, and now he is a 13, 11 and one. So he is, uh, eight and eight, and nine in the UFC. So, you yeah, know, that, that just goes to show his, his struggles that he's been having, uh, you know, let's let me check the odds out on this one real quick. We got 
Alex Caceres opening up at minus 135, and that's exactly what he is right now. So it seems like not a... Uh, I mean, some money has to bet on this, but it, it seems like no money is coming on this fight at all. Um, I don't really ha uh, have m many expectations for it. Uh, honestly, I think Martin Bravo's striking is pretty good, and he might actually give uh, Casera some troubles, but uh, not really worth betting on it for me. I think a lot of that's because you you just don't know what Caceres is going to do. I mean, he can look like a world beater uh, in the way he did against Cole Miller a few years ago. Uh, and then just look like a novice at the same time. He does have potential, and he does have... I think he has the right style against Bravo to maybe get some possibilities. I just think with Bravo, it's just a little bit too early for him. He's 24 years old. He's coming off that loss against Bardenay as well. I think he's going to be very conservative, and I think Caceres is going to take advantage of it. The potential's there with Caceres. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's m way more experienced and polished, and he, he can, you know, be a little crafty sometimes, but he just struggles to kind of get in that rhythm. And uh, like you said, yeah, he could come out uh, tentative, but uh, especially after getting knocked out in his last fight. Uh, but he was pretty aggressive in that fight against, against Puelis, so he would uh, I would guess that he would have to replicate that same success. But that fight was at lightweight, too. He's since dropped down to featherweight, so it'll be interesting to see him in this one. Um, let's see. Next fight we have. Uh, uh, these are the two fights before the main event are both tough fights. These are the tough also the the finale fights. So we have Mike Trezano taking on Joe Gianetti, and then Joe Cucolino taking on Brad Katona. So. Again, have, didn't watch Tufts, so don't know anything about these gentlemen, but they all, you know, won all their fights on Tufts, so, uh, you know, they're probably uh, probably some pretty, pretty good uh, fighters. Hopefully, uh, they have some good performances and, you know, make some lasting impressions. Uh, do you know anything about these guys, or do you want to just skip over them? I'm afraid not. I, I wish both of them good... I wish both of the finale fighters good luck. Um... Two of the best-named fighters, Trezano versus Gianetti, fantastic-named fight, Katona and uh, Cuccinello. So that probably is the two the com two best fighter-name combinations. That's that's all I've got, I'm afraid to say. Yeah, right? Those are, yeah, those right. are pretty uh, Italian motherfuckers. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, it's it, it's tough, though, with, with how... We've, we've had three ultimate uh, Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, and 14 of them uh, those fights... Uh, 14 of 15 of those fights have ended via finish so you better hope that you uh, have a good impression with these people because you know there's ton a ton of prospects coming into the UFC who are making you know outstanding performances and uh, you know so these guys better uh, do the same thing I think people are people are more willing to take chances on choosing a contender because they know there's going to be potentially a contract at the end of it whereas I feel with tough 27 because you're having to fight multiple times in the space of a month. People take it a bit more conservatively, they're more willing to go to a decision, and ultimately it makes for poorer quality fights. Yep, very very accurate very analysis. Accurate. And that's why we should not have tough anymore. But um, the main event of this uh, card is actually a very intriguing matchup. We have Brad Tavares taking on Israel Adesanya, Izzy as people like to call him. 
Um, we, uh, you know, Adesanya was 11-0, I believe, coming in, before coming in the UFC. Yep, and then uh, since beat Rob Wilkinson and Martin Vittori. So I don't know how that Martin Vittori fight was a split decision. I think that it was a clear two rounds to one for Adesanya, but there's, uh, a, lot, there's uh, a lot to say about this fight. Uh, <coughs> uh, it might be, uh, I might have a, a two or three minute dialogue, so just uh, uh, brace yourself. Carl. Uh, so in the first Wilkinson fight, you know Wilkinson's primarily a grappler, uh, and uh, you know he's got some pretty decent wrestling, and um, was able to uh, get um, Adi down, I believe, three times out of like fifteen attempts in that fight. So you know Adi has got like he's got a good takedown defense. Like we said, he's uh, a very accomplished. Uh, kickboxer he's fought in glory he's beaten the high level champions and uh you know so his um his takedown defense is going to be the, his achilles heel in mma but he uh he, he's got pretty good takedown defense you know uh stuffing three out of 15 attempts uh, i mean uh only getting three out of 15 attempts for a, a much better wrestler is is pretty good and martin vittori also uh tried to take him down a lot in their fight tried six times and was only successful on two of them but uh you know the thing is martin vittori was pretty pretty tired in this third round and was still able to get like a sloppy takedown on adisanya and then uh you know lay on top of adisanya for a bit too so I think that uh, I think that the takedown is going to be uh, the the it factor in this fight. I think Tavares is going to want to chase that takedown. He's got he's a very well-rounded fighter. He's got he's got good um, power in his uh, decent power in his hands. Good wrestling, good grappling, good cardio. Beat Christoph Joko in his last fight by TKO after just you know taking him down and uh, ground and pounding him uh, to a finish. So. Uh, you know, I don't think that's extremely likely to happen in this fight. I feel like Tavares is going to win a decision. Uh, you know, the betting line is extremely, extremely interesting for this one. We had uh, it open up at minus 120, minus 120 at evens for both of them. And then immediately, Tavares, Brad Tavares shot to a, a pretty sizable underdog. He was plus 160, plus 170 for a few days, and uh, I was lucky uh, to bet a little bit of him, uh, bet a little bit on him around there, and he has uh, since uh, sunk down to uh, plus 110 underdog, so right around evens again. So uh, a lot of people think that this uh, fight was a bit too much too soon for Adesanya. I'm not going to say that uh, it's too much too soon because I think it's a winnable fight for him. But uh, it's definitely a tough challenge. I'm glad the UFC decided to go this way with the matchmaking. Uh, and I think Tavares will uh, win uh, a fairly competitive decision, maybe three or four rounds, uh, uh, you know, via a unanimous decision. Uh, so uh, what's your uh, take on this one? I, th I would probably go with Tavares between the two. I think to people forget that Tavares, in my opinion, is quite a capable kickboxer. Maybe he doesn't do enough of the combination striking that saw him say a fight against Larkin a few years back. It's mostly pot shots. He utilizes these jab a lot. Doesn't take as many kick takedowns as he should be doing. It's usually about one every 15 minutes and it's about 31% success rate. But if he can utilize that, I still think Adesanya is still quite weak on the ground. Mostly relies on wall walking to try and get up, which there's no issue with, but I'd like to see a bit more on the offensive side in terms of a guard with him. It's a real 
prospect fight in my opinion. It's that sort of fight which is really going to identify just how good Israel is. I know he's got a lot of hype behind him. I wasn't too impressed with the Vittori fight. I think that what should have been a fight he should have won pretty easily ended up in a split decision. Uh, I agree with you, it should have been 29-28 for Adesanya. But there's still a lot of kinks that need ironing out with Adesanya before I can say he's the real deal. Whether beating Tavares will quash a lot of those issues, I'm not entirely sure yet. Um, yeah, I think that uh, I agree with what most of you said, and um, I'm excited for this one. You know, at first, like I said, it seemed it might have seemed a little bit too soon for him, but uh, at second glance, you know, it's definitely uh, good matchmaking, in my opinion. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, that this card goes down tomorrow night, uh, Friday night, the sixth of July. And uh, that being said, we're going to move along to the pay-per-view. International Fight Week, UFC 226 going down uh, to, uh, Saturday night, July 7th from Las Vegas, Nevada. And it is with a heavy heart that we bring you the news that Max Holloway uh, was uh, forced to pull out of his title fight against Brian Ortega. It was supposed to be the co-main event. Supposed to be, I believe, one of the best fights all year. You know, it's just such an such an even matchup in so many ways when you look at it. Uh, you know, I did think that you know uh, Holloway was the deserving favorite. I was really really hesitant to make any bets on it. I couldn't pick a side. Uh, I couldn't pick any bet that I liked. Uh, it was just it was just su- such a good fight, but unfortunately, um, you know. Uh, Max Holloway showed some signs of concussion throughout the week. He was in uh, a lot of interviews, like slurring his words, not making any sense. There's this, there's this uh, clip uh, where he talks to Michael Bisping. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I can, I think I can play it through the speakers actually. Uh, what did you say? Look, cross-eyed. He didn't, he didn't look like he was in the zone whatsoever compared to how he was when he was interviewed before Habi before their proposed 223 fight compare him to how he was in the Bisping interview he just seemed out of it yeah almost like he was punch drunk yeah he he was saying he he was saying shit that made he was like uh you know back when I fought uh UFC 205 it was trend this shit is trending higher than like I was talking to DC and it's like he said it's trending higher than 205 you know what I'm saying so it's gonna be a big one out there and Bisping right away was like, no, no disrespect, Max, but uh, you, did you get did you get enough sleep last night? You look a little tired. He's like, ah, you know, man, you know, he like it. It was uh, it was kind of, it's kind of tough to watch. You know, he he did look like he maybe had a concussion. He, uh, you know, was having trouble getting sleep. Apparently, his team took him to the hospital. Uh, er- earlier in the week, uh, around Monday, allegedly. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it, as much as it is unfortunate that we lost uh, the co-main event to International Fight Week, one of the best fights all year, um, you know, we don't want to risk Max Holloway's safety. This guy is one of the best in the sport, uh, one of the, mo- the, the coolest guys, one of like, the most uh, genuine uh, fighters and just personalities in the sport. You don't want to uh, see him going out there fighting in bad health or, you know, potentially risking his uh, health in any way, especially if he's already got a concussion. And uh, theory, go ahead. My fear is what if it's a what if it's a TJ Grant situation? What if it's something underlying there, and he just they'll just say for the sake of your health, you can't do it anymore. That's my worry. 
Yeah, I mean, that that's terrifying. You know, 26 years old, world champion, 11 wins in a row. For him, yeah, it's, it's, it's scary to see him talking like this, you know. Uh, hopefully it is like, a, you know, uh, a, a, maybe a one-time concussion instead of maybe an accumulation of damage that we're seeing already. But, uh, you know, like I said, just hope hope that we can maybe get this fight rescheduled for December or something like that. You know, people were talking about, you know, maybe having it move to 227 in August. That is that is absolute horseshit. If the dude is, like, you know, unable to speak and slur in his words, he's not fighting a month from now. That's so stupid. But um, we all, uh, just coming in, uh, since we've been recording, the, the, the champ champ, Conor McGregor, released a tweet that says... My thoughts and respect are with the 145 world champion Max Blessed Holloway. So that's a very nice uh, show of respect uh, from Connor there. You know, and I don't think Connor had ever recognized Max as the 145 champion until then. Yeah, that's that's probably uh, you know maybe his first recollection. But you know that that's good to see. You know, from Connor, uh, show, shows a little bit of maturity on his on his part, and uh, you know maybe he's working working back to build his reputation up. But um, good to see from uh, the champ champ. Um, but uh, that being said, uh, uh, one more note about Max Holloway is that uh, it seems like he's in bad hands. It seems like his coaches, it seems like the people around him, they don't they don't know what what the fuck they're doing. Uh, his especially his management, you know. So here's here's his past couple months. We had uh, it was supposed to be, um, it was supposed to be Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar UFC two twenty two uh, in March. Uh, Holloway had to pull out because of a broken ankle. Uh, a week before uh, UFC two twenty three, Max Holloway allegedly is supposed to fill in for Tony Ferguson and fight Khabib Nurmagomedov on six days' notice. So, he, despite him break, or hurting his ankle to the point where he had to pull out of a fight the month before, he was going to take a fight on six days' notice against one of the best in the world. So, uh, again, he took that fight, did all the media for it, and then started cutting weight, and then his body shut down when he couldn't even make the weight. And that was in a weight class above his normal weight class. His body shut down, and they wouldn't let him cut anymore, 10 pounds heavier than he usually is. So that right there is just a huge, huge red flag. Then he takes... Wasn't he something like 185 before he started to wake up? Yeah, like, they, like it's ridiculous. Like, they said, like, everything about it was just, like, impossible, and they were doing it anyway. They just decided to do it anyway. So, uh, you know, and then uh, a month later, or not a month later, we have uh, a couple months later, Max Holloway is, you know, fighting Brian Ortega, and he shows up to fight week totally concussed, like... I don't know if he was going too hard in the gym. It was a, an injury he was just, you know, hiding from his team. But shit, man, like the dude is like so roughed up and coming into like his fight that he can't even be, you know, talk coherently. You gotta, you gotta look out for your fighter safety. Uh, you gotta make sure he's, you know, he he has a head coach who knows a lot about, uh, you know, safety and and head trauma. And, you know, just making sure you're taking care of the guy. Because, man, it's, it's, like I said, tough to see him like this. Where do you stand on... There have been a lot of stories going around that they tried to arrange a interim title fight for Ortega. I heard Jeremy Stevens, Frankie Edgar were both mentioned there. Where do you stand on Ortega turning that down? Because 
you can sort of understand it from his perspective because he's number one contender. He doesn't want to do anything to put that in jeopardy. But the main reason he's the number one contender is because Frankie Edgar did exactly the same thing for him at 222. Um, you think it's a bit double standards that Mac, uh, Brian's saying no now? Uh, I, I don't, actually. I thought about this a little bit uh, when the, the news first broke. But um, so when Frankie... Uh, when Matt Holloway pulled out, I believe he had around three weeks' notice uh, for Ortega to fill in. Uh, when it's when it's three days, man, it, it's a whole other story, uh, you know. And he, the options, Frank Yeager, okay, he, uh, Ortega literally just knocked the, knocked him the fuck out. Um, there's there's no reason for them to fight. Uh, you know, Jeremy Stevens would be a great fight, but he's also fighting Aldo in a couple weeks. I, I don't want to sacrifice that fight. I'm really happy with that fight. And, you know, Ortega, you know, I, I totally, totally agree with him uh, turning down this fight. There's no reason to scrap together some shit in, on three days' notice. You know, this card still has, uh, you know, it's too heavyweight, a heavyweight fight on you know, uh, co-main and main, uh, got heavyweight, there's, a, you know, Gokan Saki, that's basically a heavyweight fight, I can't believe that he's actually a light heavyweight, you know, this is, a, it's a great main card, gonna be some violence in the Vel uh, Felder and Perry fight, so, uh, there's no reason to, you know, play hero and to f fill in some matchup on three days notice, I just wanna have this Ortega Holloway, uh, uh, you know, rescheduled for as soon as possible maybe madison square garden in november and maybe you know the vegas card at the end of the year but uh you know it's just uh speedy recovery to max Holloway. i hope everything's okay with him um, so uh let's talk about these fights a little bit we had uh kicking off the card jamie moyle taking on emily whitmire jamie moyer uh moyle uh is uh, one and one in the UFC. She has won against uh, Kaylin Curran and lost to Viviana Pereira. Emily Whitmire, I believe, is own one. Yep, losing to Jillian Robertson by armbar. Uh, Jillian Robertson's pretty tough on the ground. Um, let's see. So, so, so here's here's an example of Emily Whitmire. She her amateur record is one and four, and she gets on the Ultimate Fighter. And she wins one fight, then loses. So, okay, so she's her MMA record at this point, uh, including amateur and exhibition, is let's see, two and one, two and three. It, it, she's three and, and or um, excuse me, she's four and seven at this point in her MMA career. She loses in the UFC. Why is this girl getting another fight in the UFC when she is four and eight in her MMA career? That it makes no sense. It makes it makes zero sense, and uh, I'm glad it's the first fight on the prelims because anything else would be uh, disrespectful. Um, I'm uh, no comment on anything else on the. You, you have anything to say about these uh, these gals? Best to look to both of them. <laughs> That's all I've got. Yeah. Um... I'd probably lean towards Moyle between the two. I think she did look quite good against Kevin, but that's a pretty low bar to be set. Well, yeah, she's two and zero. I mean, one not two and zero, one and one. So, uh, I mean, even that gives her a little more stock. She is she is the favorite, minus one ninety favorite. So that's actually a pretty uh, pretty big favorite for uh, that. Um, so uh, move along to uh, but 
fortunate thing about this card, that was the only bad fight. The rest of the fights, I think, are all good matchups. We got uh, Dan Hooker taking on Gilbert Burns. Dan Hooker coming off of a knockout over Jim Miller. Coming off of a submission over Marcia Casey. A knock knockout over Ross Pearson. Uh, two standing knee knockouts in those two. So Hooker, nasty Muay Thai. Uh, really long, uh, powerful striker. Taking on Gilbert Burns, though. One of the best jiu-jitsu uh, practitioners in the UFC. Has also been looking pretty good on the feet, you know, back-to-back -back knockout uh, wins uh, over, you know, kind of low-level competition. But uh, regardless, he's still working his striking pretty well uh, and, you know, trying to mix up his uh, his attack, trying to be less known of a, as a jiu-jitsu guy. But, uh, man, this fight this fight is, is razor thin, and the odds the odds have it as so, uh, too. Um, you know, we had Gilbert Burns as... Uh, Let's see. It opened up Dan Hooker minus 160, Gilbert Burns plus 120. I saw in the week uh you know um you know uh excuse me, Gilbert Burns got actually way higher of an underdog. He got up to like plus 150, 140, and then uh, it seems like a few days ago someone must have bet thousands of dollars on him because he jumped from plus 140 to plus 120 so and now the odds are all the way at plus 100 uh pretty much at evens which i think is really accurate for this fight man i have no idea uh who's gonna win this one i mean i think that um dan hooker's striking is much better uh than gilbert burns but you know gilbert burns ground game is a lot better than hooker's so this one, this I think this is gonna be an awesome, awesome fight. Uh, like no idea how it goes, uh, but honestly, I think I would favor Dan Hooker a little bit. Uh, wouldn't bet on him, but I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to this matchup. It's too close, in my opinion, to put a bet on. But if I had, I would agree with you. If I had to go for somebody, I would go for Hooker. I think that since he moved up to uh, lightweight, he has almost reinvented himself. He used to be this sort of face first brawler used to take a lot of shots. Now, he's a lot more varied. He's a lot trickier. We saw that against uh, Ross Pearson and Jim Miller. And, yeah, you could argue both men were both past their primes. He's notoriously durable. And also, as well, when he's faced grapplers in the past before, when he's faced people like Hiyoki, he's managed to survive them and held on to win the match. It's going to be very close, in my opinion. And I think Burns has got a lot of points to prove because he has been on a bit of a slow spell recently. But... I've got to lean towards Hooker between the two. I've got Hooker by 29-28. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if Burns, you know, decide, you know, he's been working on his striking so long. Is he going to abandon that because he's fight, fighting a good striker and just go back to his uh, his jiu-jitsu? But, man, like, this guy is a, a gold medalist in, you know, uh, world championships of uh, um, grappling. He's a... You got bronze and ADCC, uh, so you know just the the best of the best when it comes to jujitsu. So I think that you know Hooker could be in a lot of trouble if the fight gets to the ground. Um, but yeah, too close to bet on. Uh, just gonna sit back and enjoy this one. Uh, next fight, I, I, I mean, there's a lot of fights on this card that that I think are too that are just too close to, to bet on, for, uh, which is you know. Uh, surprising to say the least. So, this next fight is one of them. We got Curtis Melender taking on Max Griffin. Uh, Melender made his UFC debut against uh, Thiago Alves uh, a couple months back in February. Was able to knock out uh, Thiago with a knee. Uh, looked pr nasty in LFA before that. Was getting head kick knockouts left and right. Um, 
Uh, my man is on a seven-fight win streak right now, but he's taking on Max Griffin. Uh, Max Griffin just beat Mike Perry in his last fight. Was a pretty big underdog in that fight and uh, just outstruck Perry effortlessly. You know, looked really, really good doing it. Um, you know, Perry's been able to beat uh, some some decent strikers like Jake Allenberger and Danny Roberts, but uh, you know, only high-level strikers like uh, Joban and Ponzinibbio and. Uh, uh, Max Griffin put himself into that category in his last win, so uh, I think that Melender is a little bit better of a striker, but uh, I don't know. Max Griffin has got a lot of power in his hands. He's also very competent on the feet, and uh, he's got a good chin, too, so um, you know, I think Melender is a, a little bit, uh, struggles a little bit with activity. He kind of picks his shots a little bit too much, and uh, that might actually lose him rounds against more of an output guy in Max Griffin, but uh, I think this is going to be a good kickboxing match. Um, uh, I, I would again no bet on it. Well, Curtis Melender opened up at minus one ninety, and he is now minus one sixty five. So uh, a little bit of money coming in on Max Griffin's way, but uh, the Melender is still the favorite in this one. Um, what do you say about this one? I'd probably lean towards Melender between the two. I think he's got the height and the reach advantage. But also as well, I think Griffin's quite hard to hit. I think Perry caught him a couple of times, which nothing too major, but it's definitely something to sort of raise the uh, yellow flag, as it were, for the caution. Um, he can get knocked down more than once, but as we saw against Seleski Dos Santos. Uh, it's also worth noting as well, his arsenal doesn't prominently feature takedowns or low kicks, which, in my opinion, are the big weaknesses with Melende. And I feel without the tools to get inside on Melende or make him hesitate, Griffin's going to struggle. And I think Melender, I don't think he's going to finish the fight, but I can imagine him rocking um, Griffin a couple of times during the match. Yeah, I think uh, decision is most likely. I think it'll be a 29-28 for uh, Melender. And, it'll um, be fun, though. Yeah, and uh, I think it might even be uh, might be worth it. To, I'm going to check out the, the what um, a prop on... Uh, my man Melender is. I'm gonna see what the uh, they don't do minus. Uh, they don't do points on these guys. I don't think. Um, you, do you know how uh, like the no scorecards bet works? I'm afraid not. No, we uh, we use com we use uh, fractional uh, betting in yeah. Uh, the UK. Yeah, so, so no, it's five to Yeah, I know it's not it's not about the numbers. This one no scorecards is if you it's basically you bet on the person. It's like you bet on them inside the distance, but then if you if it goes to decision, you get your money back. So, you know, if, uh, for, and you, you do a fractional, you know, so if, you know, uh, it's something is, uh, five to two for inside the distance, you know, the price might be a little bit worse. Um, like, you know, uh, three to two for no scorecards because you have that risk of getting your money back if it goes to decision. So I don't think Griffin is likely to finish Melender at all. And, uh, I don't know, but I still probably I, I still don't have a bet for this fight. I was just you know uh, hypothesizing on what would be a good one. But um, we're gonna move along to another another solid striking matchup. We got Lando Venata taking on Jakar Close. Um, both these guys you know have been struggling a little bit lately. Uh, you know Venata's only got four fights in the UFC, but uh, you know all of them have been you know pretty good. Um, He's gotten a he's gotten a performance bonus in all four of them. 
uh, three fight of the nights against Ferguson, David Tamer, and Bobby Green. Uh, the uh, his last fight was a draw against Bobby Green. Uh, Venata was uh, deducted uh, a point uh, for an illegal knee, and then he uh, basically got himself a draw because he won the the latter two rounds after that. So one of the most entertaining fights of the year. That I love that fight. Uh, that that one honestly doesn't doesn't stick up uh, stick out to me for some reason. Uh, I must have. I'm sure I watched it, but um, it might have been the two sixteen prelims. Yep. I think. I definitely, definitely, definitely watched it. It's weird. I remember watching Pro Gonzalez and all before then. But um, funny enough, uh, yes. And then we had Dracar Close, who lost his last fight to uh, David uh, David Tamer. Um, you know, looked really good against Mark Day Casey, but just wasn't able to put it together against David Tamer. You know, Tamer is very, very good striker, and uh, you know, both of these gentlemen lost to Tamer, so. Um, I think that uh, I think that if uh, Jakar Close is able to get his leg kicks going again in this fight, like he did against Dia Casey, then he uh, should be should be pretty well off in this one. Uh, you know, uh, I don't. He might even pull off the upset. Uh, let's see. Lando Venata opened at minus two forty five, and uh, he is now minus one eighty five. So uh, a good amount of money has come in on close. You know, people. I don't think Venata deserves to be that much of a favorite. Maybe a little bit of a favorite, but even now, I think there might be a little bit of value on Chikar close. Um, but uh, yeah, ship again. Good, good, good kickboxing matchup in this one. Going to be close. <laughs> Uh, uh, and I think the close will edge it. How much of Venata being the favorite do you think stems from the Tony Ferguson fight? I mean, that's still the thing that people go to when they talk about him. Yeah, or his spinning back kick, you know, like just the, oh, the McDessie, yeah. amazing. But I mean, it's McDessie. Come on, like he the guy's the guy's like a walking punching bag. Um. Uh, at the time, but uh, yeah, I know what you mean. There is a little bit of over over evaluating in in Venata for sure. Um, so I think that's what. But uh, I th- I think like I said, the value is definitely on close in this one. I mean, for me, Lando Venata is one of the most dangerous fighters in the UFC for one round. He will absolutely dominate you for that one round, but he puts so much into it. He gasses himself out straight away, and then he's open to all sorts of punishment come the second and the third. So. I think if Close can survive that sort of Venata onslaught early on, I'm with you. I think he takes it. Nice. So we'll move on to we got Rafael Asuncao taking on Rob Font. Uh, Asuncao, uh, one of the most underrated fighters in the UFC. Dude is like 11 and one in his last 12 fights. Something like uh, yeah, 11 and one. Uh, just insane. Beat his uh, won his last fight against Matthew Lopez by uh, knockout. Uh, you know, he kind of got gifted a split decision against Marlon Marais in my mind. Uh, it was a really close fight, you know, hard to pick uh, one person, but I think Marais did win that fight. Um, but other than that, he's looking, you know, uh, not unstoppable, but he's very technical, very consistent. Um, you know, Rob Font is, uh, uh, he's also consistent, but way more, uh, way, way different style. He's a consistent brawler instead of a consistent technician. Uh, like a Sun Sal. So it'll be interesting to see um, how a Sun Sal deals with the pressure in this one. Uh, you know, he uh, he hasn't, he never, uh, he unf- 
he fortunately for him has ducked a fight against uh, John Linker in his career. But I was going to say, you know, uh, Linker's style is pretty similar to uh, Rob Font's. He's, you know, Font is just a, a really, really uh, relentless brawler. Good pressure, good cardio. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that I think that it, it it should be interesting if Font puts some pressure on a Sunsail, but I think a Sunsail should be able to uh, be able to overcome it. And um, we had a Sunsail open at minus two seventy, and he's gone uh, up to minus one seventy now. So a lot of a lot of money has been coming in on Rob Font. Uh, people are, uh, you know. Uh, giving him a, li a little bit of credit where I think that where it's due, you know, I think he's dangerous. He's got some power in his hands, but I think a sun style should, uh, you know, coast his way to a decision like he usually does. And I think that's maybe an issue that a lot of people have with us on because I feel that for somebody who's number three in the world, I don't think he's all that entertaining to watch. And obviously we've seen this, he's 10 and one, he's beaten Dillashaw in the past as well. But you just you can't sit back and say, "Oh, I remember that great Rafael Hassan Sal fight." There's nothing really stands out. It's, I think he's almost as well in the same sort of boat that Ricardo Lamas has been finding himself in. He's been like this perennial top three figure for so long that rather than giving him the opportunity, you're instead using him to try and blood through a new generation. Because like, um, I've lost me train of thought here. Lamas went through Josh, a stage where he fought. Where he went, Jason Bright, um, Josh Emmett, and then fought Mirsad um, Bektic. It was almost as if they were trying to do whatever they could to get him out in the top five. And I sort of feel Aston Sauer's getting the same sort of treatment. If there's any guy who can get a good, exciting fight out of him, though, it's Rob Font. I thought he looked fantastic in his fight at UFC 220. Dangerously aggressive, got a lot of power as well. I just think that experience on Aston Sauer's fight is going to see him get the win. But Font has a chance. Yeah, um, like you yeah. like you said, he's the most mediocre th number three ranked fighter in the UFC for sure. Um, you know, besides whoever's three at women's fl uh, flyweight, but um, I think that might be Lauren Murphy. I think it's yeah, exactly. So uh, um, yeah, it's it's uh, you know, it's a little disappointing that he that he doesn't have uh, an exciting fighting style. But dude, like I said, dude is super super technical. His only loss is to. Dillashaw, um, and uh, you know Marlon Moraes gave him a very close fight too. So uh, should be should be a good one though. Like you said, uh, uh, you know, you it's kind of hard to you know get it up for a Rafael Sanso fight, but uh, Rob Font is definitely uh, an opponent who could get you know bring the bring the Mexican out of him. Um, times new Golden. <laughs> we uh so we all, next fight we got uh Uriah Hall taking on Paulo Borashina. Costa, um, I just want to say that you should look up a picture of this gentleman, Paulo Costa. You should look up a picture of him before and after, because this guy is on the newest of the new Brazilian supplements, special supplements, the anti-USADA detectable supplements. Uh, this guy is juiced to the gills, like he's so 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 muscular all of a sudden, like out of nowhere. Um, but, um, that, besides that, uh, he's a massive, massive favorite. Let's see what he opened up at. Uh, he opened up at minus 290. He has gone all the way down to minus 400. Uh, you know, Uriah Hall's getting no respect in this one. Uriah Hall's way more experienced, has fought and beaten better competition before. 
But, uh, man, it's going to be hard to stop this freight train, dude. Uh, you know, Borshina has been wrecking, you know, you know uh, Gareth McLennan, Oluwey Bambose, and Johnny Hendricks. Three um, pretty pretty low-level uh, opponents. You know, even Hendricks at the end of his career was a low-level opponent. I have to say. Um, well, I, I mean, I remember Hendricks when he was fighting against GSP. He should have won that fight. And to see him... Struggling in the way he did it, um, but he was a welterweight fighting at light at middleweight because he just didn't have the conditioning, didn't have the willpower to do it. It was sad to see. Yeah, after after arguably getting screwed, he was fifteen and one heading into the GSP fight, fifteen and one, and he finished his career eighteen and eight. <coughs> so man, uh, he also missed weight three of those times um, I actually did a I actually did a video on my channel where I looked at uh, the best and worst weight changes and I focused on Hendricks and he struggles at middleweight it was I mean even missing weight at middleweight yeah that says an, it all to me that's insane he was he was one so he missed 171 173 and then he somehow missed at 188 so dude just has no discipline um no no common sense, nothing. So, but like again, this is I I hold I I kind of I kind of compare this matchup to the the OSP Tyson Pedro matchup. Tyson Pedro has been starching dudes, but they're all you know low level people, you know low old level guys, something like that. And we have a guy who's you know way more tried, uh, you know you know tried and tested like uh, Neil Magny or not Neil Magny, excuse me. Uriah Hall, um, so I think that I think that Uriah Hall as a plus three hundred underdog, there's a lot of value on him. Uh, I have a bet on Uriah Hall at like plus three fifty five. He's down to plus three twenty five now. I also have a, a little bit of, on him in round two and round three because I think that you know Paul Acosta, he's he's no joke. I said it's going to be hard to stop this freight train, and it is going to be hard. He is likely to win by knockout in the first round. But it's all. There's also a good chance that Uriah Hall is able to survive that round and you know drag Costa into the deep and murky waters in the second and third round. Uh, maybe catch a finish and maybe win a decision. So I definitely think that there's value on Uriah Hall in this one. But um... well, for me, it's just too unpredictable for me. I mean, every time you see him struggling against a lower class fighter, he pulls out a win over Musasi. You just can't know what to expect from him and I think that could be a good thing and a bad thing I just think that Costa's carrying a lot of momentum about him, he's got a lot of power, to be honest the guy he reminds me of more than anything is, can you remember when Vitor first started in the UFC, when it was like this 19 year old kid, it was just bulldozing through the likes of Vandalay, that's the sort of that's who he reminds me of, he's, he's sort of like a young Vitor. They actually did a, a reporter did a comparison to him. They said like, do you do you think that he is like like Vitor and like he, he did exactly what you did? He like you know he made a couple comparisons about how, and then Uriah just goes, what you mean with steroids? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you look at that body. He cannot either. He has the more, the best training regime out of anybody in the world, or he's got to be on something. Yeah, he's. Like, there's a picture... Do you know what I'm talking about? The picture of him before when he's got, like, blonde hair and he's got, like, a, like a la layer of baby fat. Just Google Paulo Costa before, and there's this picture of him when he looks like, like... 
just some ordinary Jersey Shore, like, semi-muscular guy. And then all of a sudden now he's an absolutely shredded, has every muscle in the bo- in the body, you know, just... It, 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 it's, it's very evident. I think I've seen him on an episode of Love Island. <laughs> Love Island. Uh, Alright, so... Uh, Do not watch it. It's awful. Um, we're moving on to the main card. And like I said, even though this main card took a hit, a huge hit, uh, we st- we're still surviving. But, ladies and gentlemen, the weigh-ins have not happened yet. Um, so, you know, just keep that in mind. Because... The weigh-ins always provide for some drama. So, first fight, we got Gokan Saki taking on Khalil Roundtree Jr. Gokan Saki, former uh, accomplished kickboxer, K- K1, you know, world champion. Dude, dude's insane. Let me see. His, what's his, his kickboxing record is 83 and 12. Holy shit. 83 and 12. And these aren't, you know, 83, like, you know pity pat matches 83 against some of like the best kickboxers that ever fought like these guys all have wikipedia pages all have you know 50 wins 100 100 fights and insane but uh his mma record though is one and one <laughs> yeah lost. i mean i remember speaking to Go ahead. a lot of people about the 226 card and obviously they saw saki and they thought what are the ufc playing at this is just another cm punk sort of gimmick match and I had to explain to them and say this guy is one of the most legitimate kickboxers that has ever fought in mixed martial arts. Did... I mean, I've seen a lot of his fights. He is so attacking. He's got a lot of power in there as well. People call him the Turkish Tyson, and it's easy to see why. Yeah, he's uh, insanely legit. Like he's just because he's you know doesn't have much MMA experience doesn't doesn't mean shit. You know, his kickboxing experience is all he needs. And, you know, his first fight in the UFC against Henrique de Silva, but we saw that. You know, he threw bombs. He bit down on his mouthpiece. He was gassing out. But in the last little bit of the ra- of the last 15 seconds, he landed a bomb that just sent Her- Henrique to the canvas. So, and, um, you know, if that fight got out of that round, what would have happened? Who the fuck knows? You know, he might have he might have gotten... Excuse me. Um. Uh. He might have gotten uh, uh. You know, taken down and finished in the second round, but that didn't happen, and uh, I don't think it happens this time either. You know, somehow, um, Gokhan is is not that big of a favorite. He opened up at minus one eighty, and he's all the way down uh, up to minus one thirty now. So money actually coming down clear around trees somehow. I don't get it, man. Which I, surprises me. Yeah. I- I would say that Roundtree is an easier opponent than what the Silver was. I don't rate Roundtree very highly at all. Yeah, I don't. I, I agree, man. Uh, Roundtree stinks, man. We've seen him lose in the UFC tons of times. We've seen him get finished by, um, you know, who was the? I th- I just mentioned him earlier. Um, Pedro. Tyson Pedro. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Sanchez beat him by decision. Uh, you know, he hasn't looked. He hasn't looked awful. Uh, oh yeah, and uh, let's see. He also he he originally a unanimous win for. Uh, oh yeah, so Michael Olgan Saitsuk also beat him by decision, but he tested positive in that fight. 
Um, yeah, so uh, I'm expecting a, you know a fireworks performance from uh, Gokan Saki. I think that there's value on him at minus one thirty. I think it's so much more likely that he blasts this dude into another dimension than anything else in into this fight. Um, <clears throat> uh, so yeah, I, I don't really bet on favorites that often, but I did I did for Gokan. Um, I think maybe part of the reason why people are having doubts about Saki is because of the silver fight because. He did start off very strongly, but he gassed big time. He did gas big time, and Costa De Silva, I should say, came back into that fight, um, landed a couple of big shots before Saki got the knockout blow. But I think a lot of that could have been he hadn't fought in any sort of fight for two years. He was obviously had that sort of adrenaline dump that comes with fighting in the octagon for the first time. So I think those both played factors. I think the key thing is, against a high-level opponent, I would have doubts over Saki winning this. But Roundtree is, in my opinion, not a great fighter. He doesn't have the wrestling game to cause many problems. Um, and also as well, Roundtree has his own issues with gassing early on. So I'd probably weigh up the pros and cons, and I'll probably go with Saki. Probably second round knockout. Yeah, I think he's going to get it done in the first. Um, I... I, I... I hope this fight doesn't see a second round, honestly. But um, let's see. We got um next fight. We have Anthony Pettis taking on Michael Chiesa. Uh, Michael Chiesa lost his last fight uh, to Kevin Lee. He also got th this fight was rescheduled. Another uh, um, you know McGregor bus incident uh, rescheduling. <laughs> and uh, excuse me, my nose is like stuffed. Um, so uh, you know Michael Chiesa. Terrific submission grappler. Uh, you know, most of his wins in the UFC come by rear naked choke. Uh, five of them, to be specific. Also lost his last fight by rear naked choke, though, against a better grappler wrestler, Kevin Lee. Anthony Pettis, you know, former world champion. Uh, incredible kick, incredible striking. You know, pretty golf is back, too. Good jiu-jitsu, too. Uh, not really not really good wrestler, though. He He's uh, kind of susceptible to... Um, getting taken down that's what eddie alvarez did uh rafael de santos pressured him uh even max holloway you know and edson barbosa uh you know pressured him on the feet with uh with just striking and were able to defeat him that way pettis coming off of a, a loss which where he was getting beat up and also suffered an injury in that fight against dustin poirier so um we have uh I believe, uh, let's, let's see what uh, the odds are on this one. We have Michael Chiesa opened up at minus 150, and he is now minus 160, and uh, Anthony Pettis at plus 140. So uh, Pettis is the underdog. I agree with it, man. I think Chiesa definitely has a really clear path to victory. It's going to be more difficult for Pettis to get it done, and we're going to have to see Pettis like, turn over a new leaf and look like he did uh, you know, against uh, Jim Miller and uh you know look like he did again uh, you know earlier in his career like when he was you know really had it going but uh ah you mentioned there before that you thought the povia was getting dominated but the povia was dominating pettis i thought i actually thought that was quite a competitive fight and uh, not dominating about, yeah yeah we all hear about pettis being this slouch when he comes on the ground i thought yeah he wasn't winning but he was holding his own on the ground and I think the idea of Pettis being this elite-level striker who's going to do all these flashy head kicks, I think that's out of date now. 
I think he can still do it and it'll be something in his back pocket. But I think if Pettis wants to evolve and become a better fighter, he needs to embrace the ground game a lot more. And especially against someone like Chiesa, because if Chiesa takes you down, it's game over. Yeah, he's got a great back control and everything. I, I wouldn't say totally game over. I think that uh, his Pettis would struggle. I mean, dude tapped out, you know, Benson Henderson, who's a black belt off his back, and tapped out Gilbert Melendez. Uh, he's got, he uh, t- tapped out Charles Oliveira, all, uh, most submissions in UFC history. So, um, dude is, is a very high level grappler himself. Uh, but, <clears throat> uh, I, I would not want him uh, on the, uh, to be on the ground with Michael Chiesa if I were him. Um, but it, it's going to, it's going to be a good fight, man. I think, that, I think that Pettis, uh, has been training for this fight for a really long time, you know, for six months. So, uh, I think that. Um, you know, he, his takedown defense should be uh, more than adequate. I think it's going to be a good one. There might even be a little bit of value on Anthony Pettis, but um, I don't know. I think I think it's a, a pass. It's too it's too close for me to call. I would go with Chiesa between the two. I just think with Pettis now, I think people have read the book on how to beat him. It's all about, I don't think he handles pressure very well. You can press him up against the cage and then use that to get your takedowns. And I think that Kiers is going to be one of the people who's going to be best at doing that. If there is a silver lining for Pettis, though, I think he's one of the best spinning out of back control. And obviously, he's got the kicks. He's got the striking. So he'll always be a danger. I just think there's more advantages for Kiers than there is for him. I agree. Uh, we'll move on to a fight that was recently rescheduled. We have Paul Felder taking on Mike Perry. This fight was supposed to be Yancey Madero's taking on Mike Perry, but on, uh, I believe, four or five days ago, um, Yancey pulled out and Felder jumped in. Felder was already training for a fight against James Vick uh, in a few months or a few weeks, uh, so he, he was already in camp. Uh, he's ready to go. Uh, he's moving up in weight. Paul Felder is a pretty, pretty massive guy, and he, you know, uh, doesn't struggle with weight cut, but it's def- he's definitely known for cutting a lot of weight. So I would say that it's uh, kind of a blessing in disguise. This fight's at welterweight, and I think it's actually kind of a fa- favorable matchup for uh, Felder. Felder's a pretty disciplined striker. He's got great elbows. He's um, got, uh, you know... Uh, good power in his hands, and uh, I, th- you know, he's going to be fighting a guy who's going to want to stand and bang with them. And I think I'm so looking forward to this fight. Yeah. I really am. This is just going to be a full-on war. Yeah. Uh, watch it be an absolute flop. Now I've said that, but <laughs> I think you've got two guys who are willing to trade one with one another. Perry's always going to go for that big knockout blow, and he has the power to do it. What intrigues me about Mike Perry, though, is he's just changed camps recently. And I felt that one of the big issues he had was I didn't think his footwork was all that great. I think that was something which Griffin sort of utilized to his advantage in his most recent fight. He switched training camp since then. And I like to see a more diverse Mike Perry. Not so much go for that big headshot blow. Try and utilize a couple of body shots in there. And then eventually wear down Felder. Whether Felder... I think Felder's tough enough to take the blows. It's going to be an intriguing match. Yeah, I, I agree. It's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be tough for someone. I don't know. I feel like Perry is more likely to finish, but I don't know. I think that it's gonna be. It's gonna. I don't know. I could see Felder outstriking Perry for it to a decision for fifteen minutes, but we've never seen Perry really rocked, honestly. So I don't see uh, Felder getting a knockout or anything. But 
it's gonna be good, man. But uh, I don't know. Uh, Perry is an underdog. It wouldn't be the wouldn't be the worst play in the world in my mind. We have right now. Um, let's see. Paul Felder minus one fifty five and uh, Mike Perry plus one thirty five. So I mean, like I said, a little bit, a little bit what of you value. Bear in mind as well, is you've got Felder who's a lightweight moving up, and Perry who's a natural one seventy fighter. Can Felder handle the big shots of a guy at that weight? Yeah, and we've never seen it before. And you know, Fel Perry hits fucking hard. That's one thing he does do. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's gonna be, gonna be a great fight. I'm stoked that they put this third, third on, uh, pay-per-view. It's, it's totally deserving. Um, and if you're somebody who likes your superstition as well, all of Mike Perry's losses have come when he's fought on a Fox card. Every other time he's won. Yeah, he's done great on pay-per-views. Exactly, he's unbeaten on pay-per-view. So, uh, and in the main, or co-main event, excuse me, we have... Francis Ngannou taking on the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. Uh, Francis Ngannou was was he undefeated before he lost his? No, he was uh, uh, eleven one. and one. Eleven and one. Recently lost to Stipe Miocic for the UFC title. Um, you know that fight. He he looked he looked uh one of the, it was one of the worst performances in UFC history. He, the first round, he just threw massive haymakers, just chasing the knockout. Didn't really look too composed. Had no footwork. Was just winging bombs. Uh, and Stipe was able to uh, avoid all those heavy shots and avoid the, his barrage of uh, haymakers. And um, Stipe basically just uh, kind of not laid on top of him, but you know, just put minimal to pressure on him for the the last 20 minutes of the fight before it went to a decision it was like seven to one to even go to decision and uh you know somehow it did and stipe uh won that fight but uh you know that was the francis francis's first loss in the ufc and uh, exposed a lot exposed his cardio exposed that he can't wrestle um, stuff like that. So we also have Derek Lewis, who is uh, seven and one in his last eight fights. Um, you know, some some over low level competition, some over decent level competition. Uh, he lost to Mark Hunt um, uh, last year. Uh, most recent uh, win was a TKO over M Marchin Tybura. Uh, you know, I think that uh, I think that Derek Lewis has uh, no uh, a path to victory in this fight. Um, let's see the we had Ngannou open up at minus two thirty and has gone all the way up to minus three eighty. So a ton of money coming in on Francis Ngannou. Derek Lewis opened. Can't sleep on Derek though. I think in when you're in this sort of fight where you've got two heavyweight fighters who are both known for big knockout power. There's always that lottery element about it, in my opinion. And people like to criticize Derek and say, oh, all he does is just swing and bang and he just gets lucky. If you did that once, I can understand. If you did that twice, I can understand. The guy's won seven out of his past eight. And the one guy he didn't beat was Mark Hood, who has the ultimate granite chin. So there is still that chance of Derek winning this. And we saw it against Tybura. He was losing that fight, got that big swing, ended up winning. Um, I just think between the two, I think Francis had a bit more technique about him. And also as well, the steeper loss has made him realize you just can't fight in that sort of way. Um, 
he looks a lot leaner than what he did against Stipe. I think he put on a bit too much muscle for that fight. I've seen him during the interviews. He looks a lot slimmer than what he does. Apparently, he has been doing a bit of work on his wrestling. So I'm curious to see what type of Francis we get. I think we're going to have a much more conservative Francis, whether that's good for the sake of the fight. Maybe not, but for the sake of him winning, definitely. So... A lot, lot of good points, but some some I want to question. I do think he looks skinnier, um, uh, you know, l you know, a little less lean, like you said. Uh, a little more lean, whatever the terminology is. But, um, yeah, definitely lost a little muscle. And But the thing is, when you said work on his wrestling a little bit, he looked so, so helpless in that fight with wrestling. Like, it, it would take a, uh, a half a lifetime to teach him what he no needs to know. Um, you know, like if he were to, he is young for a heavyweight. That's true. So he's got that going for him. And it's yeah. going to be interesting to see how he adapts. But um, you know, I, I I think he's like I said. I think you know he is likely to still win the fight. But I think Derek Lewis can clearly has a clear path to victory, and that would be to take downs, to avoid defeat, and to you know go for some ground and pound. You know, uh, I I mean there were a lot of times I thought Stipe Miocic could finish that fight against Ngano, but he just didn't have the energy to ground and pound him out. But, uh, you know, Derek Lewis, man, we've seen him get finishes in the fourth round and I think even the fifth round. Uh, no, yeah, the fourth round, third round, second round. So, you know, we've seen him, uh, you know, show off his gas tank a little bit more compared to, uh, you know, Ngannou, who he, maybe he has a, a one win in the second round, I want to say. Uh, yeah, one win in I tell, two. I tell you what, I think... I've got a bit of a theory about this, and I might just put it to you as well. People have been saying what's going to be Stipe or DC's next match after this. And most people have been saying it should be Curtis Blades or it should be Volkov or it should be an eliminator between the two. If Derek wins this, he's won eight of his past nine. He's beaten the number one contender. Can we put Derek Lewis in that argument for the next title shot? Um, I don't think so because... The, he just, you know, even though he's, you know, like you said, won the eight of last nine, that, that's, you know, the wins were over, no, wins were over. Victor Pesca, Damian Grabowski, none of those, two of those guys don't, don't even stick out my mind, Gonzaga at the end of his career, and Nelson at the end of his career, uh, Abdurman Monikov, whatever, he's pretty legit, uh, Travis Brown was on a losing streak, Martian Tober, you know, he's all right, but... You know, I don't think only two wins in a row. I don't think you can uh, you can give him. I I mean, it depends how he beats him. You know, if he if he knocks Ngano out, it'd be like holy fucking shit. Maybe he should get a title shot. If he beats him by decision, I think that you know uh, either I mean Volkov just finished Verdum and um, Blades just finished, finished over. Yeah, so those two guys, like you said, I think both of them should fight and see who's gonna get the next title shot for sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I've just got. I'm pretty sure I've that might headline in Russia. I don't know yet though. I've heard a rumor that they could be doing Volkov versus Blades in Russia. Yep, yep, that's a, yeah. So I was my big worry that, about uh, this, my big worry about this fight with um, Francis and Derek though is people have been hyping up the big knockout power between the two, all the first round knockouts, etc. What happens if this goes beyond the first round? Do we just get the UFC's version of Kimbo versus Dada? Yeah, well, like I said, I don't think it's that. I don't think 
you know, Angana or Lewis, excuse me, is that uh, likely to be to tire? Especially if they, I don't see Lewis, I don't see Lewis having the defense to to survive the round on the feet. So if he doesn't get the takedown, he's getting torched. But you know how Stipe avoided the takedown. He used a lot of movement. He got on his bike. He was running around. He was using head movement. He uh, had good defense in that fight, and I don't see Lewis being able to do that. So. Hopefully Lewis can get the takedown, and but I don't see I don't I see it very very unlikely that Lewis would knock out Ngano on the feet. I think he's gonna try to shoot right away, uh, because you know I think that's his best shot at winning. Um, but uh, that's uh that's enough for this fight. We'll move on to the main event of the evening. We have the heavyweight champion of the world, Steve Miocic, the most heavyweight defenses of all time in UFC history versus the light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier in a heavyweight super fight a real super fight you know two weight classes converging uh you know uh Daniel Cormier mm -hmm. 20 and 1 in his career uh and taking on Stipe who's you know he's got a similar record 18 and 2 uh I believe this is only the third champion versus champion match they've done in the UFC because there was uh, Penn versus GSP, uh, McGregor versus Alvarez. Technically, there was a third if you count uh, Dan Henderson from Pride fighting Anderson Silva. No, so that, that it's, it's an historic occasion. Yeah, um, let me. Let me uh, are you sure there wasn't? Are you sure there wasn't one more? No, they never did. There the, might have been one more. Did. I definitely remember Silva Henderson. I want to say I want to say he, Matt Hughes and BJ Penn. Uh, I think no, I think Penn was Penn was the challenger in that fight. He, I, yeah, Penn yeah, lost you're his right. fight he against won, uh, Paul the lightweight and then moved up. Yeah, he won the he won the belt from Hughes. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's true. Uh, it's, it's rare, you know. Um. Uh, we, we thought we were going to get TJ versus DJ. That never really transpired. But, you know, Steve, you know, these guys both are incredibly exciting fighters, incredibly skilled. Steve has got uh, insane power in his hands, great boxing, good wrestling at base, ex insane cardio. Uh, DC's got good boxing, great wrestling. You know, uh, both these guys' chins are a little suspect. Um, but, um,. You know, I my pick for the fight is Daniel Cormier, man. He's an underdog. He's a two to one underdog right now. Um, that he's pretty much been that from the jump. I mean, this line has been out for months, and they announced this fight, you know, pretty much right after it happened. So this line has been out for months. Stipe opened at minus one seventy to Daniel Cormier plus one forty, and Stipe is now um minus 220 to daniel cormier plus 200 so a lot of money coming in on stipe people are pretty confident in him as the as the favorite uh i think i don't know i think daniel cormier is gonna it's gonna be a, a decision it's gonna be a gritty decision it's gonna be a lot of back and forth uh a lot of wrestling scrambles uh it's gonna be it's gonna be a great fight um you know, not not too much not too much deep analysis into this one. I'm more just trusting my instincts, having watched these guys for so many years. But um, uh, what do you have to say about this one? I'm leaning towards Stipe between the two. I think that he's got great knockout power. Obviously, he combines that with strong wrestling that we saw against Francis, and as we also saw against Francis as well. I think you say his chin's a bit suspect. I've only really seen the Overeem fight, where in recent years where. He seemed to be in any sort of trouble. 
I think the blows he took against Francis, and Francis did throw some wild swings in that first round. Mm -hmm. Stipe survived them all. He showed good head movement to um, intakes most of the damage. And Cormier has good, strong hands, and we saw that against Volkan as well. I think Stipe is going to be able to take those blows and ultimately use that reach. And I think that's the big... That's the big decider for me. I think Stipe is a much bigger fighter. He's a much longer fighter as well. And I I just don't think DC is going to be able to get in and be able to get those uppercuts, which is, my opinion, his bread and butter. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, but uh, I don't know. DC showed his boxing is just so good. I mean, Jones, oh, he's boxing. Jones is so much longer than him. And he was, you know, boxing Jones up. I think he, was, I think he won the first two rounds of that fight. Um, you know, with primarily with his boxing, so you know, it, it, like I said, I can't stress enough. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a great fight. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns, you know, a lot, uh, how much DC is gonna weigh in at is gonna be a big factor. You know, that might change the betting line a little bit if he shows up. You know, they show up at the same weight, and people are gonna realize, oh shit, you know, DC is a natural heavyweight. He was at heavyweight for years he beat the best of the best heavyweights back when they were juiced to the gills back in strike force and shit and he was fast for heavyweight as well yeah i mean he, look at them against bigfoot he and knocked out Josh bigfoot Bob. he knocked out bigfoot when he was juiced to the gills like come on man like uh that bigfoot was one of the scariest motherfuckers that ever fought in a cage and uh, DC, you know, landed that fucking hook on him, man, just dropped him like a sack of potatoes. Man, I, I Wasn't can't... Wasn't that on, like, four weeks' notice as well? Yeah, he, he was, like, he was uh, the alternate for the tournament. He was like, oh, yeah, I'll just come in and win that bitch real quick. Um, yeah, DC's awesome. I love him. I love his I love his character. I, you know, I love everything about him. I, got a, I have a DC, uh, DC t-shirt, actually. Uh, I'll have to rock it this weekend. Um... But Stipe, man, he's a threat. I think that Stipe's boxing is going to be a threat. I think that his power is going to be, you know, something that uh, Cormac is going to struggle with. Um, but, yeah, man, it's going to be a great card, great pay-per-view. Really looking forward to, uh, you know, International Fight Week is cursed for the third or fourth year in a row. Um, you know, we had uh, some some mishap happen with International Fight Week, and it got canceled. Um I think it was Aldo. Aldo pulled out, and then um, the next year, uh, Jones's drug test two thirteen was Nunez getting nailed. Yep. So you know, four years in a row. Uh, you know, not much to say about in the injury bug. We already talked about all that, but um, still looking forward to the card. Looking forward to both cards. Um, Any opinions from the Hall of Fame? Hall of Fame. Uh, let's see. We got, who is it? It was Matt Sarah, Ronda Rousey. Art Davy and Hendo Shogun. Okay, yeah, I I agree with it all. I think they're um, I I don't I don't understand Matt Sarah being in it. Um, uh, he's Dana's best mate, isn't he? That's why. Yeah, that's why. Uh, I mean, uh, he's like he's a he's a big personality and everything like that, and 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 uh, so I get I get why he's in it, but his his UFC career definitely doesn't deserve him being in the Hall of Fame. Um, and uh, you know Rousey, I think that. It's a smart idea to induct her right away while she's still getting all this WWE hype, especially when they introduced her on the CM Punk card. You know, they had that WWE audience and they kind of capitalized on that. Art Davy, you know, one of the founders of the UFC, of course, he deserves to be in it. And uh, Hendo Shogun is uh, one of the best fights of all time. Again, that deserves to be in it. 
But uh, one thing I want to mention is this PFL card tonight. Uh, we got a lot, a lot of UFC vets fighting on this card. Uh, the PFL, if you're unfamiliar with it, is uh, the formal World Series of Fighting. They are doing this tournament-style season where uh, each fighter uh, earns a certain amount of points. So if they score a first-round finish, they get six points. A second round gets five. A third round gets four. And a decision gets three points. So you win the fight, you get a certain amount of points, and you keep getting matched up throughout the season. And at the end of the season, the person with the most points wins like a, like a, a prize. I'm pretty sure it's a million dollars. I don't know how it works for every weight class. Like they can't give out a million dollars to every single person, can they? Um, and I also would be curious to whether like these people are getting purses at all. Like they have to be getting some money, right? Who the fuck knows? It's very interesting what they're doing. Uh, regardless, they have uh, a lot of UFC vets <clears throat> on their card. Their card actually starts pretty soon. Uh, Bohan Velokovic, uh, recently coming out of the UFC, is fighting on this card. Uh, Joan Zavarino is, he's not in the UFC yet, but he's a very, uh, uh, good prospect training out of, uh, Henzo Gracie's in New York. Uh, he trains with a lot of, you know, um, uh, Ricardo Almeida guys like Frank Yeager and Eddie Alvarez and, uh, you know, Barbosa, all those Russian guys who train up there. So, uh, that's pretty interesting, uh. Then John Howard, Eddie Gordon, Rick Story, you know, Jake Shields, just tons and tons of UFC vets on this card. So I think I'll probably tune in on this. You know, they have, you know, it's pretty exciting. You know, it's the same same as the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series where the people are kind of chasing a finish a little bit more because it, it has a little more uh, value. So these they, they have some pretty good fights, and I recommend tuning in to them. I like what a lot of MMA promotions have been doing recently. I don't think... They've obviously realized that Saturday evenings is sort of like the big UFC time. So rather than try and compete with that, I've noticed a lot of people are starting to turn towards midweeks a lot more. We've seen the Tuesday Night Contender Series. PFL seem to be going for a Thursday night slot. And it's it's refreshing to see. Yeah, it's genius, man. I mean, you can't compete with the UFC. Like, we've seen, we've seen uh, Bellator try to do it a lot of times, and it's turned out badly for them so uh yeah like you said it's and it's it's so awesome to you know get the, you know some mma on uh you know different different nights of the week like you said uh you know uh tuesdays thursdays um whatnot um couple, just a couple more uh a couple more uh, little ufc news stories before we get going um the <clears throat> national uh national what is this uh, some, some, something uh, labor board national labor and something board uh, ruled in favor of Leslie Smith uh, saying that the UFC uh, you know has done something wrong uh, and they're they're starting to investigate uh, you know s something about like the union activity so it seems like something might have actually gone in Leslie Smith's favor in terms of union unionization for the UFC so Interesting to see how that will, uh, you know, play out in the future. Uh, we also had, uh, so Volkan Ozir was supposed to fight uh, Shogun in Germany uh, in a few weeks, but instead Volkan is now fighting Alexander Gustafsson, uh, UFC 227 in August. This fight, they made this fight on only like four, four or five weeks notice. 
Um, you know, I don't know what was really going on with Vulcan. He's he had some criminal issues in America and is having some trouble with his visa. But uh, you know, they it kind of seems like they just wanted a, a better fight to buff up the two twenty seven card, and they want they picked this one. So uh, I think as well, Gus was, if I remember correctly, I think he was training for two twenty seven because he was going to fight Rockhold. Yeah. Or he was training for this fight in in case somebody fell out, like yeah, uh, you know the steep air DC. So I, I get what they're doing. Yeah, they brought they and uh, I think they who the fuck did they bring in to replace Shogun? I I just saw it. Um, Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith. Yeah. So that's a I guess it's a good matchup. Um, you know, not the not the worst. Uh, you know, replacement. So uh, you know that's that's uh, being uh, definitely buffed up two twenty seven. Um. Let's see what. Else. Oh yeah, Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz have signed with Golden Boy Promotions, uh, trying to have an MMA fight later this year, which is just absolutely insane. You know, fifty-one years old, uh, Chuck Liddell, um, taking on uh, Tito Ortiz. Uh, he's only forty-eight. Um, excuse me, Tito Ortiz, who's probably you know uh, t- forty-four himself, uh, forty-three. Yeah, so just two extremely, extremely old guys who need money and they're fighting because of it. It's just really weird that they that they're allowing this to happen. Honestly, kind of hope it doesn't. Um, if Scott Coker won't touch yet, you know you got a problem. Yeah, right. Scott Scott Coker couldn't even get these guys. Uh, so yeah, but it doesn't matter. Uh, homeboy, uh, what's his name? De La Hoya is getting into MMA. So. All right, well, I think that's going to do it. Uh, went through a couple stories throughout the week. We talked about the PFL a tiny bit. We detailed the uh, Singapore card. We talked about the tough finale, and we talked about the pay-per-view. We went over a lot in this past two hours. Uh, I want to thank, oh, thank my man, uh, Carl, for coming on. Uh, you want to go ahead and shout out the YouTube channel one more time? Yeah, the YouTube channel is It's Not Cage Fighting. You'll find it under, if you just type that into Google search, it should come up straight away. Um, we've been growing substantially over the, um, what, past 18 months or so. Uh, just a couple of my friends uh, subscribing, and now we're up to about 8,000. So thank you very much. If you are already following the channel, we've got a lot of great content coming up, and I hope you are part of it. Yeah, man. Uh, happy to have you on. I uh, on your Reddit profile, I, I I already upvoted you six times. So it seems like we got we were getting along before you uh, you even joined the call. So uh, thanks a lot for coming on, my man. I really appreciate it. Uh, I hope to have you on in the future again. Hope you enjoy all the cards and uh, good luck with the YouTube channel in the future. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast, I thank you for tuning in to episode 24, and I'll see you next week before wherever the UFC is next week. Peace. Peace.